Shaken Blake presents Aftermath and Power Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shaken Blake, brought to you by Earth2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. I have the honour of being Dave Probert, and with me is the man who has the privilege of being known as Mr. Ian Wilson. Hooray! Oh, it's good to be me. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very well. I uh, spent the Weekend just gone at the uh, SFX Weekender up in Prestatin. Mm-hmm. Uh, great convention, had a brilliant time. And uh, saw Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker doing Q&A sessions. Alright. And uh, the legendary Mr. Brian Blessed. Ah. Uh. Who we all know from Cygnus Alpha. <laughs> exactly. That is the first place we know him from. And it turns out that uh, Mr. Blessed might be going even more sci-fi. Well turning science fiction into science fact okay because in Mr. Blessed's never ending quest to give old age the fuck you (laughs) he has completed astronaut training oh my and he's now currently first reserve for the international space station oh fantastic I shit you not Brian Blessed will soon be in space and of course in space, Brian Blessed has a very good chance of making other people hear him scream. Absolutely. The idea of hearing Brian Blessed scream in orbit is a joyous one. He'll blow up the spaceship. He's an absolutely remarkable man. Because <laughs> how old is he nowadays? Uh, he's, he's in his 70s now. I thought so, yeah. It's incredible. Oh, well. But as he as he quite wisely said, it's not how old you are, it's how you grow old. Well, exactly. Words to live by. And I understand you have some news, Mr. Wilson. I do. Well, I don't know if you want to hear about how my day was, but uh, more, more appropriate to the actual theme of this podcast, um, I have some news, not so much about Blake 7 itself, but about Paul Darrow. You intrigue and me, sir. Not, not, when I say Paul Darrow news, it's not so much something that Paul Darrow's done already, but something he could do if the price is right. I, whilst on one of my many drunken internet quests to find out truth and then completely forget about it the next morning, um, stumbled across um, a page called Indiegogo.com um, which I believe I've not had a giant whip around it but uh, it seems to be a place where um, uh, independent productions go and promote themselves and 
you can download their episodes of things such as audio dramas. And uh, I chanced upon one called The Minister of Chance, uh, pun not intended, um, starring Julian Wadham, who I've never heard of, uh, but Sylvester McCoy, Jenny Agutter, Paul McCann, and Paul Darrow. Interesting. I am vaguely familiar with the concept of uh, the Minister of Chance. The character first first turned up played by Stephen Fry in a Doctor Who independent audio story called... I can't remember what it's called now. Death Comes to Time? That's the monkey. Wow. (laughs) The power of my ability to read what's on the screen in front of me. Hooray! Um, Hooray, indeed. Anyway, let's get to the meat of points. Uh, They've made two pilot episodes which, in the very words I'm reading in front of me, have garnered rave reviews. Um, And, again, you can uh, listen to them yourself. However, uh, they're on a bit of a fundraising effort uh, to cover the production costs of um, seemingly episode number three, although given the cost involved, I would rather hope it was late for the rest of the audio drama series, because, you know... We put out top quality entertainment, and um, it costs very little, it's fair to say. It it does, yes. (laughs) Uh, It's not something you can automatically tell from our production budget. But, um, for something involving stars, uh, apparently it costs about $10,000 or something like that. Or at least that's their goal. So what they've done is they've uh, put a tiered level of um, uh, donations. And and the more that you donate, the bigger your prizes are. Now, these range from $20, uh, where you could be included in the written credits as a sponsor, um, and a preview copy of Episode 3, right the way down to $1,500, uh, in which you get a visit to the recording of episode 3 to meet cast and crew, warning, may involve cakes. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, I, I love that kind of humour. Um, but um, what really caught my eye was the $170 pledge, which reads as follows. Avon Calling. Have a sci-fi legend take your calls. Paul Darrow will record a personal voicemail greeting for yours or your loved one's phone. Wow. $170. That's all it is. What? It's cheaper half the price. <laughs> As it stands, it's quite expensive. <laughs> well, pounds is half the price, pretty much. <laughs> But, um, and if you don't fancy the um, tones of Paul Darrow for the same price, you can uh, alternate with uh, Sylvester McCoy instead. Interesting. Uh, So I'll give you the link. It's www.indiegogo.com slash the hyphen minister hyphen of hyphen champs. And I will try and remember to put the link in the forum thread at of at least the Earth 2 forums, and if I remember the Geek Planet forums as well. Excellent. Mm. Well, um, should we get some uh, feedback? Oh, if we must. (laughs) 
That's, what, that's why I had news ready. Hooray! <laughs> I, I, I like to think news counts as about three emails. <laughs> well, uh, we've got some audio feedback from the orgs, as ever. Huzzah! Yes. Uh, we have an email from Gareth Edwards. Okay. Now, he includes some feedback for the episodes, which we'll get to when we discuss them, but he also has like an opening message as well. Right. In which he says, Hi guys, just like Ian, I'm now going into the not-before-seen realm of episodes of Blake 7, and will be until like the last two episodes of Series 4. I was going to send this to Ian, as his song is now stuck in my head. However, the treat of a cosplay Travisogram, which I get, guess would be a zombie cosplay Travisogram now, turning up at my door put an end to that idea. So I will be feeding back on the episodes as you go, and hopefully it will fill in what is a blank area. Uh, P.S. The reference to speed chess uh, being seen in New Who was a reference to live chess in the last of the uh, current series run. Uh, yeah, because he did mention it being involved in New Who before, and uh, I wasn't entirely sure what the reference was. And now, once he said it, I was just like, oh, right, yeah, I completely <laughs> missed that. I, I don't know, did you see the uh, the finale to the series of Doctor Who this year? Um, is that the Wedding of River Song? That's the one, yes. I did see it the once, but I think I was doing something else at the same time, so I wasn't. It didn't have my full attention. There is a sequence where the Doctor sort of he's playing chess against somebody on an electrified chessboard. Like if you make a wrong move, you take a piece, you get electrocuted. Ah, uh, okay. So yes, yeah, so th- th- there are parallels to speed chess. Yes, that does vaguely ring a bell. I've got to question um, Gareth's mentality of thinking. Um, uh, denying me an email would put him in the clear of a zombie Travisogram. Yeah, there does seem to be a, a firm grasp of the wrong end of the stick there, because surely <laughs> not sending you an email is going to guarantee a zombie Travisogram being sent to uh, to Gareth's home stroke workplace. Especially when he starts the sentence with I was going to send an email to Ian. <laughs> That's not endearing him to you at all, is it? Not, not in the slightest. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Gareth. And, uh, we'll get to your uh, actual episode feedback when we reach the episodes. Yeah, I wouldn't answer your door. <laughs> we have another piece of uh, feedback from Graham Mills. Okay. Uh, he says, Hi, gents. Happy New Year to you both. In your last podcast, you said you always like hearing about stories about how people got into Blake 7 and I just remembered another another little story you might like I can recall when I was about 16 and visited the Doctor Who exhibition at the Museum of the Moving Image in London back in 1991-92 sadly missed yes that someone had stuck a professionally printed sticker on one of the the display cases which simply read bring back Blake 7 (laughs) I am very glad that my anorak knowledge of the feature length Blake 7 videos was of interest to you. Yes, the first four episodes edited together do work very well as a kind of mini-movie, as they all follow on from each other. The second release, Duel, did not, however, feel as it did feel a bit disjointed, as you could clearly see it was three different episodes cobbled together. However, Aurac, the third release, worked well, as those episodes all followed on from each other, so flowed quite nicely too. The only trouble was, it was the last two episodes of Season 1, followed by the first episode of Season 2. The whole Liberator crew suddenly looked a little bit older, had different hair legs, and their clothes all changed suddenly. As the fourth and final edited release was of the two episodes you're going to be talking about, 
plus another from series 3, I'm not sure if this is a spoiler or not. So I'm not sure if you'll be able to read this out now or after the review of Aftermath, but here goes. And I think we can cover this now, we'll go into it in more detail. Okay. On the edited release, the BBC took out a scene where Villar is talking to himself in a variety of different voices. So no. you see him So you see him trying to contact Zen, then simply look around and see the spear pointing at him and the savage says to him, You appear to be talking to yourself in different voices, which because of BBC editing, Villa hadn't actually done. Oh well, Celavi. Oh, I have got no. <laughs> I have now got all the Dutch DVD box sets, and to be honest, the presentation is a little odd. But more on that next time. Bye for now, Graham. Once again, thank you very much for that, Graham. <laughs> I should be interested to see how bizarre the the, the Dutch versions are. <laughs> you know you're getting a slightly out there kind of version of something if it's preluded by the word Dutch. <laughs> like the word courage, well, that... for example. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, do you have anything in the Earth 2 inbox, Mr. Wilson? I do, and don't sound so superior. Damn you. Certainly, certainly was not my intention, sir. No, I know, I know. I'm just bitter. Again. <laughs> <laughs> For like the eighth straight month. Um, yes, I, I do have the one, but as, as always, gratefully appreciated. And Absolutely. This, this comes, uh, it's a return email from Mr. Terry Mitchell. Hooray! <laughs> hey, indeed. Who says, Hello, and greetings from the Americas. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, the colonies. The co- <laughs> he doesn't say where in America. There, there are many Americas. Uh, still, okay. Here I am, all up to date with fellow newbie Ian. Star One is a jam-packed episode. This is one of my favourites of the show. They really want you to come back and see what the hell happens next. The best part of this speeding bullet is the loss of cosplay Travis. The end with Blake and Avon just seemed very odd to me. How is it that Blake has been fighting with Avon about running things, and then just walks away at the moment the crew needs a leader? What a cock that Blake is. (laughs) <laughs> the word cock is capitalised um, <laughs> I'll, 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 get to, I'll get to that later Series 2 or B is fantastic it would have topped season, Series 1 if Travis would have come back Cosplay Travis had some good moments but he just did nothing except twist his moustache figuratively speaking obviously On a side note, as I watched, it seemed to me Cosplay Travis was upset that he was not allowed to fuck Servalan anymore, (laughs) and that's where his anger for Blake really hit. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed the team of Avon and Villa. I wish they would have a (laughs) I wish they would have had a spin-off of them pulling capers. The girls are very misused until the later half of the series. The death of Gan seemed to be pointless. Once again, Blake is a cock. Overall, Blake 7 is a fantastic show. Thank you for your time and reading my babble. Good word. Terry. So thank you very much, Terry. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. 
Um, we'll have to see I you're will... up to speed. <laughs> yes. Join us. Join us on our mission. Um, I, I will say that um, Blake kind of handing the reins over to Avon, um, I mean, I, I didn't take that as him carrying away at the moment the Liberator crew needed a leader. It was just that he was in too weakened a state to effectively make important decisions. And to be fair, he does want to stay on and help, and Avon tells him to go back to the medical unit. He does. He does. But, you know, it, it, it's a variation. Um, I certainly don't think Cosplay Travis was merely upset that he was not allowed to fuck Serverland. Um, I have a feeling... Well, there, he... We can only speculate that he ever fucked Serverland. Well, exactly. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't think Serverland probably let him anywhere near... <laughs> Good grief, no. Um, no. <laughs> What's to say it's just his arm that's cybernetic? <laughs> well, surely I that'd just... be more of an incentive for Serverland. <laughs> Touché! <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, I think that's all I've got for that. Okay, then, shall we uh, dive into Series 3? Series 3, here we go. I'm going to be honest with you. That should be mildly disconcerting. I know the Liberator is on its way here to pick you up. What makes you think that? I was hiding over there. I heard every word. I see. Go on. My only chance of getting off this planet is if I can make contact with a serviceable Federation ship. That possibility seems fairly remote. Surely not. Once they realize the President is marooned, they will be coming in droves. I don't think so. You see, there's something you probably don't know. Star One was destroyed. Are you sure? Positive. An alien counterattack, it took us by surprise. They reduced the entire planet to so much space debris. Nothing survived. And Star One was the basis of Federation power. It controlled everything. Exactly. And now it's gone, so is most of the Federation. From now on, there will be chaos in the star systems. No central control, no unifying force. Over half the civilized planets left to their fate. So Blake's rabble finally got freedom of choice. He won after all. Forget Blake. You have control of the Liberator now. There's no more powerful ship in the galaxy. You have Aurak. Avon, don't you see what that means? You tell me about it. You could rebuild it all. All those worlds could be yours, Avon. They're there for the taking. You and I could build an empire greater and more powerful than the Federation ever was or ever could have been. Now, Avon, at this moment we can take history and shape it in our own image. Think of it. Absolute power. There is nothing you can imagine that we couldn't do. I am thinking of it. We can do it, Avon. I know we can. We'll be answerable to no one. Ours will be the only voice. Imagination, our only limit.
I'd be dead in a week. So, the very first episode of Series 3 is Aftermath. Now, after some very spiffy new titles, which we'll talk <laughs> about in a moment... Indeed. Uh, we pick up pretty much directly where Star 1 left off, as the Liberator comes under heavy attack from stock footage. <laughs> Not necessarily from Blake 7, either. <laughs> uh, during the battle, uh, one of the uh, Federation ships reports that Star 1 has actually been destroyed. The Liberator has taken an absolute pounding, the teleport's been knocked out, life support's on its way out, so basically the crew decide to abandon ship. Uh, Blake didn't want to leave the bridge, but Jeddah, it is reported to Avon anecdotally that Jeddah has taken him off into another life pod and they've both ejected. Uh, Avon's knocked unconscious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Avon's, Avon's knocked unconscious, and Callie and Villa put him and Orak into an escape pod and launch it, and then uh, they attempt to launch themselves, but there's a malfunction with the. Uh, <laughs> there's a malfunction with the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> and do you want me to do a Dave joke? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. The, um... <laughs> and the last we see of Villa and Callie this episode, the ship is crumbling around them while Callie is desperately trying to repair the system so they can escape. Meanwhile, on the surface of the planet Saren, there are some primitive tribal men, led by uh, someone called Chell, who see the space battle in the sky, and apparently it is prophesied that there will be a fight in the sky, they will, and Chell says that they will come down from the sky and destroy us. Basically, the Sarans are killing anybody who lands successfully on their planet. In fact, there are, there are a couple of Federation troopers who managed to get away from their crashed ship, and through them we learn that uh, they've been defeated, and only because the Federation essentially ended up outnumbering the Andromedans, but mm. they have lost about 80% of their fleet. After they've imparted this very useful information, they're probably slaughtered for their trouble. <laughs> you noticed that too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have things to tell the audience. Now we shall die. <laughs> it's like asshole and pussy from. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> pressure points. Surely we can't walk across here. Explode. <laughs> right. Now, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise. Avon uh, wakes up in the escape pod, uh, but the G-force is uh, affecting him because he and the descent of the pod is too steep. Because he can't reach the controls because he's in a weakened state, he commands Orak to basically take over the controls and guide the pod down to a safe landing. Uh, what he does... He uh, ends up climbing out of the uh, badly damaged capsule, and is currently and he's immediately set upon by Sarans. Uh, he's nearly killed, but uh, the Saran then gets an arrow in the back from a mysterious, beautiful woman firing a bow and arrow at them. Uh, the rest of the Sarans take off, and uh, this woman tends to Avon's wounds in the safe shelter of a cave, and she introduces herself with a kiss. <laughs> to which yes. Avon responds with some wonderfully carry-on-esque in um, innuendo. Oh, matron. <laughs> well, when Avon asks 
why did you kiss me? She says, I was curious, to which everyone responds, I hope your curiosity isn't easily satisfied. Yeah, well. <laughs> Ooh, <her> misses. <laughs> Dana explains that uh, her and her father are originally from Earth, and that uh, she was raised there since she was a child, and they also have someone with them called Lauren, who was originally a Saren child, but has been raised as Dana's sister since she was a baby. Uh, Dana says that she likes ancient weapons, but uh, sort of knows her way around more advanced stuff as well. Uh, Avon suddenly realises that he doesn't have Aurak with them, so uh, asks Dana to take him back to where he found him in order that he can retrieve Aurak. They get, ba they get back to the pod, they get attacked by another Saren, who roundly gets his ass whooped by Avon, which impresses Dana. They collect Aurak, and uh, they basically get back into the ship. Anyway, it turns out that Dana's father has a uh, space station sort of a style ship that's uh, parked beneath the surface of the sea and there's a hatch on the beach which leads down underneath. But before that happens, uh, it turns out that somebody else has crash-landed on Saren. Yeah. That person is... Servalan! Wow. Didn't Servalan. see that coming. Yep. <laughs> Servalan is distinctly annoyed and inconvenienced to have crash-landed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sends out a message to all Federation ships telling them that their immediate priority is coming to get her but the, their message, her message isn't getting through so she promptly finds Avon and holds him at gunpoint and the two of them do have a wonderful exchange as, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have many this episode yep. uh, but then Dana gets the drop on Serverland but then the Sarans start attacking them saying they quickly decide to put their differences apart and escape so once they're all inside the ship, they meet Dana's father, uh, Hal Mellonby. And Hal is basically hiding from the Federation. Hal's entire story, I'll, I'll reveal the whole story now, even though it's revealed in pieces throughout the episode. Mm. Uh, Hal is a weapons designer. And now, sort of through training and teaching, Dana is a very good weapons designer as well. And Hal was supplying weapons to... Uh, rebel groups and ended up leading a, a rebellion which took the Federation three weeks to quash and when Hal's people ended up surrendering honourably most of them were slaughtered yeah. uh, Hal was also at one point tortured by the Federation and had his ocular nerve destroyed so now he wears a device over his eyes which allows him to see electronically remind you of anyone? no no idea. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he does have a stalk kind of coming out of his chest, doesn't he? Yes, I mean, it, it's a little bit more complicated, but uh, it, is, it is essentially Geordie LaForge before Geordie LaForge. <laughs> uh, so once they're once, uh, back in the base and Avon's chatted to Hal, uh, Servalan is taken away by Dana to get some more clothes and they have a bit of a girly chat. And uh, Avon warns Hal that's who Servalan is and by this point Servalan has uh, explained to Avon that she's now president as well so uh, he makes Hal aware of who she is and the danger that, that you know, Hal could be in just by the fact that he's let Servalan in uh, it turns out Hal's a big fan of Blake's and knows what's going on uh, Hal's been monitoring the state of the battle and tells Avon the major damage that the Federation have taken and the fact that you know, the Federation could well be in trouble because they've lost so much of their military as Avon points out, it's difficult to be a military dictatorship when you don't have a military anymore. True. 
Not to mention the fact that Star One is now destroyed. Mm. They are also introduced to Lauren, uh, Dana's stepsister. Uh, all of a sudden, they hear a banging on the outside, and it turns out that the Sarans have found the hatch and are trying to break in. Dana immediately wants to slaughter everybody, uh, to which Hal disagrees and uh, gets them to use stun guns against them. So Hal, Dana, and uh, Lauren go out to the surface with the stun guns and try to uh, basically just wound them until they decide to go away. Once they think they've done enough damage, Hal and Dana go back into the ship and Lauren volunteers to stay outside just to keep a lookout on the hatch. But Chella sort of worked out where they are and when night falls he, uh, he captures Lauren. Uh, Hal shows Avon some of the guns they've been working on and explains that Dana has invented most of them. But it also says that you know, she, Dana is sort of hungry to become like a master of all weapons, which is why she likes to use primitive weaponry. Servalan overhears Avon using Aurak to make contact with the Liberator. It turns out that Blake has made contact with the Liberator, but uh, Zen couldn't get a locator fix on him, so can't pick him up. And that Jenna is okay and is on a hospital ship, but he doesn't know where the hospital ship is bound for. And there's been no contact from Villa or Cali. Servalan overhears all of this and basically makes a, wants to make Avon a deal. She admits she knows everything that she knows and says that with Star 1 destroyed the Federation is going to be in disarray but because Avon has access to the Aurak, Aurak and the Liberator he's in a very strong position to, to take over with Servalan's help and that they can rule together. Avon is sort of seduced by these words and walks closer to Servalan and the two of them Share a snog. I can't before wait. Avon grabs <laughs> uh, before Avon grabs her and shoves her to the floor and and realizes one thing that cosplay Travis never did that uh, if he did team up with Servalan he'd be dead within a week. Yeah. <laughs> it basically, it's like I'm not an idiot, Servalan, go away. <laughs> Dana and Avon go to get some rest. Hal decides to stay up and wait for Lauren. Uh, during the night, Servalan remembers who Hal is. Uh, searches Dana's rooms and finds a weapon and then sneaks out during the night and uh, firstly blinds Hal by destroying the sensor on his chest which allows him to see before uh, taunting the blind man as he swings around and then eventually shooting him dead. She then takes Aurak and does a runner. Uh, Avon and Dana find the dead Hal. Dana is obviously upset but is now very pissed off and wants to kill Servalan but Avon realises that they can't kill Servalan until they found Aurak because Aurak is going to operate the teleport. They eventually go out onto the surface. They find uh, Lauren strapped up and dead and Servalan is eventually captured by the Sarans. Avon and Dana uh, rescue her despite the fact that Dana does want to kill her and Servalan makes terms that she will only tell them where Aurak is if she gets a teleport bracelet and a gun and is guaranteed safe passage on the Liberator. She says she doesn't even want the Liberator, she just wants to be taken somewhere where she can disembark. Avon has no choice but to agree, so she leads them back to the hatch where she's concealed Aurak. There's a scuffle, and Servalan disarms Dana, but then the Sarans attack, and Dana gets the gun back from Servalan and gets her bracelet off, but just before Dana is about to kill Servalan, they're teleported back to the ship. Uh, Servalan escapes back inside Hal's ship and the Sarans are left on the surface. Back on the Liberator, they take the bracelets off and walk through the teleport area and then all of a sudden a mysterious stranger in Federation uniform threatens to execute them and asks them what they're doing on his ship. 
awesome. And that is the end of this episode. Mr. Wilson, your thoughts on this? Uh, This was a really interesting way of kicking off the series. Um, Overall, I liked it. Um, The odd... The odd thing smacked of being a tad convenient, such as um, the inclusion of Serverlan. Because, um, oh, what a coincidence, she winds up on this planet too. But I did love the way they explained that away. Oh, yeah. With a, Avon's explanation about the, um, what, the irony of it all. It is the thing that I would least expect to happen, and therefore it's the thing that does happen, and therefore he's not surprised <laughs> by it at all. <laughs> That entire exchange was That's really. Terry Day should take the piss, isn't it? <laughs> it's his own timey wimey kind of thing, isn't it? It is pretty much, yeah. It's logicy, logicy, <laughs> But on the whole, I thought it was a really good, different way of kind of, in a way, it's it's a kind of a soft reboot of Blake Seven as a whole. Um you've got new titles and we'll get to that I'm sure but um, you've got to kind of fill around the blanks that two of the principal cast of the previous couple of seasons are not coming back and it kind of makes sense if you want to build the crew back up that you kind of separate them out and um, slowly see the uh, Liberator crew reform and the way they do it because this is very much a kind of first part of a two-part kind of story. But it stands oh, yeah. it, oh, it stands on its own very well. Um, and I like the fact that it kind of confirms everything that season two was basically saying. But yeah, we're kind of repositioning the show around Avon and we're having Servland be a bit more hands-on. So yeah. um, with that now setting the tone for this third series um, I, I thought it was pretty good I think that always disappoints me is after the big build up of the cliffhanger for the end of Star 1 that I mean he was never going to but the space battle just completely fails to live up to the hype <laughs> so he, is they use Blake 7 stock footage of like five or six ships that have appeared in other episodes <laughs> but I, I have made a note of the other ships that I recognised Right. Uh, the Nova Queen and the automated freighter from Star One put in a reappearance as Andromedan ships. Oh, right, okay. Uh, space City apparently d- doubles for an alien spaceship. <laughs> space City from Shadow. Yep. And uh, the, the Wanderer class ship from. Oh, what was the one with the plague? Uh, Killer. Killer, yeah. The, and but that ship was meant to be sort of several thousand years old. It was, wasn't it? And yet, apparently, it's showing up now as an Andromeda spaceship with laser cannons and stuff all over it. So it's like, oh man! I mean, I, I knew they weren't going to be able to live up to the promise of a full-scale space battle, but that was even worse than. <laughs> oh man! My only note for that really is Jerry Anderson would be horrified. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I don't know. There's like, you know, a lot of people aren't fans of people sort of retouching special effects for stuff but if ever a sequence needed a a CGI retaking it's this opening sequence because it completely fails to live up to the promise of what was sort of like being teased at the end of Star 1 
Imagine it. Like, uh, ever since April 1979, you've been waiting for the rest of the year uh, for a brand new series of Blake 7, and perhaps you're getting all your friends round the TV to watch it with you, and you're like, right, this is my favourite show. And then they see this. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. But it gets better. Oh, it absolutely does get better. I mean, it, it's an inauspicious beginning, but once um, once Avon lands on Saren, it gets good quickly. Mm. I mean, the thing is, as much as those two Federation troopers who get slaughtered after their info dump are, you know, they're pretty much there as <laughs> battle expositions. <laughs> but in the in the little scene they have, they actually, I mean, they're really strong actors. I mean, we'll, we'll get to them later on because I'm they do both appear in the Who count. Oh, good. But, uh, yeah, in their little sort of two-minute scene together, you immediately get what their relationship is. You know, so one is clearly the commander, and the other one is he sort of plucky, sort of like, <laughs> almost like the, the lovable Cockney private from a war film or something. Yeah. You know? like, I'm, I'm just happy to be alive, sir. Yeah, they are and laughably bad at getting up a hill, though. Yes, because the plot demands their immediate slaughter. But I just like the fact, again, it's what we've talked about before, about the, the little people, like especially like the, the two troopers in Trial. Yeah. As well. It, it, short, but very well-realised sort of character relationships. It's nice that they're casting sort of strong actors in these little roles, mm. rather yeah. than sort of casting sort of you know, extras or something like that. And so you do get, uh, these two guys show up, you, in, you immediately get their characters, you get their relationship to one another, they impart some information and they get killed. And yes, while you know, we both find it a little bit Visible that <laughs> about what their uh, plot function is, it's actually pulled off as a scene really well. Yeah, yeah. What do we think of Dana? Well, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it is this episode more than the next one that goes to show it. But I think that Dana is kind of what Callie was introduced as, uh, and then right. they. They completely kind of quickly kind of sidetracked the kind of uh, freedom fighter warrior kind of aspect in favour of the kind of alien telepath aspect. And Dana, by chance, you see her as a warrior. You see her very uh, capable as both a martial artist and with not just, you know, impressive weapons, but. Um, bows and arrows and spears and like it's like ah, I can see why that person would have a function on the Liberator crew absolutely I, I think yes there is a parallel with Callie but I think where the difference is that Callie has a lot more experience as a fighter mm. whereas obviously Dana's lived a very sort of uh, closeted life I mean she's a very good warrior and is, and is very clean very keen to kill people yes but only because you know she she sees that because she spent all of her life designing weapons with her father, who is also a weapons designer, she doesn't get why they're designing weapons if they're not supposed to use them. But she doesn't get that. I mean, how does sort of say to her, "We only kill as a last resort." That is a tad of an inconsistency. It's like uh, you've got this pacifist arms dealer, um, something that actually <laughs> well, got I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe him as a in... pacifist. Well, okay, not a pacifist, but. At least someone with a reluctance to use the kind, 
weapons that they probably take a, a fair amount of pride in building in the first place. I can see where you're coming from, and I suppose there is a degree of irony about it, but having said that, I mean, Menemy's quite clearly yeah, a warrior. I mean, he, he did lead a successful rebellion with some, probably with some pretty kick-ass weapons. I think he's not so much clearly a warrior as he was, was clearly a disco-era DJ. <laughs> he he does have a bit of a uh, bit of a medallion man thing going on. I didn't refer to him as Hal in my notes. I referred to him as Disco. <laughs> I do love the fact that yeah, he he's essentially wearing a visor from Star Trek: The Next Generation, sort of like a good about ten years before it was invented. Well, there um, we go. Yeah, for Star Trek: The Next Generation. So uh, yeah, screw you, Blake Seven did it first. <laughs> Clearly a major influence on the next generation. I don't see how it couldn't be. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's why the orgs are podcasting what they're podcasting today. Hey! It's, it's the next logical step. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, going back to Dana though, um, yep. I like the fact that you do have a kind of naive, aggressive, capable character... And she's got a fairly unique look to her as well. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I wasn't alive in 1980, so I don't remember the TV from back then. But um, I'm guessing she was a fairly untypical kind of TV action figure. Well, certainly untypical insofar that she's a woman anyway. There's that, obviously. There wasn't that many action women on there, but... Mm. No, certainly, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, and I think it's a really good performance as well. I mean, I think uh, Gisette Simon really makes an impression early on. She does, yeah. And her rapport with Avon as well. Yeah. I think there is a... There's an element of um, Avon kind of taking Dana under his wing a little bit, even though that, you know, Dana is saving his life and that. There's, mm. After Avon beats up that Saren, uh, Dana just says, right, let's kill him. And Avon's like, whoa, 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 whoa there, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, there's no need to be doing that. He's unconscious. Let's just go. He's like, he'd have killed you. Yes, but I'm not him. <laughs> <laughs> I am the great Avon. And also now, um, now Servalan killed her father. She now has a very sort of strong character motivation to be an antagonist to Servalan as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's another interesting thing about her eventually kind of joining the Liberator crew because, um, okay, she'd be great as a as a part of the crew, she obviously has a useful function, but I mean, why would she want to bring down the Federation if the Federation hadn't really touched her life until Servalan actually showed up to her wonderful home under the sea? If you make a little mermaid reference now, I will hurt you. <laughs> Are we not closing on that music? <laughs> Quiet, you! Um, and I I found it interesting that um, they had like an additional member of their family in a quite smoking hot completely tertiary character and as soon as she said she's sort of there just to get bumped off really isn't she well yeah I mean there was kind of a countdown of death as soon as she said oh I'll stay behind (laughs) no no you're not quarrel you're not Michael Hosen. <laughs> uh, 
been, yeah. I don't know about you, but certainly after um, you know, when they find Lauren's body sort of trussed up to that frame and that, mm. I, I certainly got the got the sensation that they were trying to intimate that she may have been raped. I don't know. I, I, I'll have to go back and rewatch because I, I only watched it once and I had like one eye on my notes, one eye on the screen. But um, I mean, but I mean, they, they, they find they, somebody they might... else trussed up like that before, and but they've clearly been there for a very long time. They've been dead for a very long time. Whereas, yeah, surely just being trussed up like that wouldn't be enough just for her to drop dead of being tied to something. And she oh yeah, very I mean, sort of roughed up and stuff. So I mean. I mean, maybe I'm just picking up the wrong vibe from it, but I know sort of Terry Nation isn't above intimating such things. I mean, I think if you consider the subtext, you consider that this is a very attractive character who's been set upon by a bunch of men, then the subtext yeah. is clearly there. I'm just wondering to what extent it was implied when you actually saw her hung on the frame. And again, I'd have to go back and have another look to say one way or the other because uh, I didn't know. I mean that could well just be room. my twisted evil interpretation of the much more innocent events of her just getting killed very possibly you're a sick man <laughs> Robert alright alright <laughs> you started it but no you're absolutely right I mean like she's introduced she looks quite nice they have a bit of a chat she stays outside she's killed and it's almost just like she's there just to add to Dana's pain pretty much <laughs> to give her like killing her father isn't enough. Killing her, they have to kill her, her adopted sister. Yeah. So it, I, in a way, that's kind of just saying, oh well, there's nothing left for her here on this planet. The Liberator is obviously where she should now go from now on. Yeah. In which get which makes it slightly convenient her joining up, but yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can understand why they're doing it. They get rid of that sort of nothing left to lose, you might as well leave kind of thing. Although Hal does say to Avon that he wanted Dana to go with him anyway. That is true. So she, that she could see more of the world. And, and Hal quite rightly pointing out it's possibly not good for her just to be living constantly under a ship and killing random savages. Every <laughs> Maybe, seat. possibly, that's not a healthy upbringing for a young girl. <laughs> possibly not. <laughs> now, I think we do have to address the major awesomeness that isn't just Servalan, but Servalan and Avon in this episode. Because both of them are amazing. Their opening kind of back and forth together was a really brilliant. Logicy wodgicky Whatever. Yeah. But it's so interesting seeing them kind of both kind of plucked out of their natural habitats and yet still treating each other as if nothing's changed. Um, but the thing I love about it is, I mean, look, this is the kind of verbal sparring relationship you wish, like, Blake and Travis had had, or Blake and Servalan had had, and they just didn't. Yeah. And uh, the way there's almost, like, like, a begrudging respect between the two of them as well. I mean, at one point, Avon sort of says to her, it's a pity that we always find ourselves on opposite sides. <laughs> well, I think... And then later on, um, Servalan sort of says that they're, they're, they're both very similar people. I mean, I, I, I think that's true. I think both of them have that kind of dangerous, kind of malevolent quality to them that makes them so interesting, which is why they're so good at sparking off each other. I mean, compare it to... I mean, how many dialogues do you think Blake and Servalan actually had together? 
Not many, because he mainly interacted with Travis. Yeah, um, and even then, sometimes Travis Prime and other times cosplay Travis. So, you know, the quality is going to vary. But I mean, I think they actually talked to each other. They talked to each other in Project Avalon. Yeah, and that's they good. They talked to each other in Orac. Uh Yes, yes, they do. I mean, the Orac thing is good, but it's not lengthy, exactly. I mean, they spend so much time chasing each other, but once they're finally at gunpoint, there's only so long that they can actually prolong it. Um, especially because Travis finally has him right where he wants him. Um, but, I mean, and then, it, they get, then they get utterly upstaged by Avon anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was always going to happen. But um, I, I think the more general point is that Blake... I think he was better when he was kind of sparking off his own crew than against who he was up against. Because the problem with putting Blake up, up against Travis is that Travis is... His entire character is wanting to kill Blake. So he's not going to be in much of a mood for long conversation scenes. And Blake... I don't know. Sometimes he didn't know whether he wanted to be the kind of charming Robin Hood character or the, you're a brutal person, you're part of the Federation, I'm going to kill you. Um, So he was a bit inconsistent, as was Travis, and, as we say, didn't have many interactions with Servalan. Whereas Avon has always been relatively same in terms of temperament, and and how he speaks. I mean, you see the character evolve in that he goes from a completely self-centred, avaricious, avaricious uh, scumbag to still an avaricious scumbag, but one that cares for his colleagues and just gets a bit yeah. annoyed at Blake. Um, so he... I mean, if they had that exchange in Series 1... Not a lot would have changed, really, apart from the uh, the length of time that they've been up against one another. You get the feeling that this is now the shape of things to come. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, without Blake, there's going to be a lot of this sort of verbal jousting. And, of and course, we have that kiss as well. I was just going to say, the sexual tension. Because, I mean, and again, with the best will in the world... You're not going to get any sexual tension between Servalan and Blake. No. Servalan and just about a, you, on a good day, possibly even Servalan and Villa. Who knows? But Ooh. not Blake. No. It it just wasn't going to happen. Whereas this really kind of adds to the dynamic between Avon, who's going to be thrust into the protagonist role. And uh, the thing is, he doesn't come completely out of left field because there's been a there's a crackling between them throughout the episode. Yes. And so when they sort of sit down and Servalan makes the proposal, after sort of saying how similar they are, mm. and there is a moment where you almost think, oh, well, is Avon going for this? Is you know, there is like a genuine questioning of whether Avon's actually gone. You know what? Yeah. And you get the feeling that season one. Or series one Avon would have been much more tempted. Absolutely, but, but uh, obviously by this point it's a wonderful swerve when you know, I mean, they kiss, which is just like bloody hell. That's <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then immediately Abel just grabs her by the throat and throws her to the floor <laughs> and just goes like, like what are you nuts dude <laughs> I don't know you would kill me within a week of taking over well, and I think that's that's why it's probably good that it's been held off until series 3 as opposed to series 1 because he's now had at least 2 years within the show possibly more within the actual timeline of the show itself to know what Servland's capable of and all the vile things that she's done. And, you and know, I love that exchange between them you know, when they've, uh, they've got a cold in the cave but after they've rescued her from the Sarans. And Servland's just sitting there sort of like the cat who got the cream knowing that she's got Avon over a barrel because she knows where Ulrak is and he doesn't. Yeah. And she's saying, like, I want a gun. And Data's like, no way. And Avon says, we've only got the one. And she's like, well, that's all right. I only want one. <laughs> so, that's the one I want. <laughs> yeah. they, they do... I mean, Avon does turn the tables towards the end where um, having got his hands on Orak, and somehow Servalan actually gets the jump on Dana, who yeah. is obviously a much better fighter than Servalan is. And Servalan's like, well, I've still got the bracelet. And Avon's like... Haha, why do you think I gave you the faulty bracelets? And she's like, what? <laughs> and like, hands it back. It actually works. Ah, but it, except it isn't a faulty bracelet. Exactly. Because, like, yeah, so Serverland goes to look at it, and then Dana overpowers her, and the first thing Abel does is get the bracelet. So it <laughs> exactly. Works. <laughs> uh, so, no, it, I mean, as, as head scratching it as, as it is to actually see Serverland just randomly appear on this planet she gave a lot of value in this episode and she ends it under the sea in the ship hiding away from the violent natives so you you, I mean so she didn't necessarily have to be brought back within the next episode no the fact that she was doesn't actually matter but no. um, yeah. so um, I mean what do we think of uh, the way Blake and Jenna's departures handled because obviously by the very nature of the fact that they weren't coming back to film any scenes, yeah, it's obviously a little bit sort of a little bit difficult to handle. But how, how do you think that was handled in the end? Um, I mean, and you could probably make a case for Villa and Callie as well, because essentially they they have a cameo at the beginning. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately this is Avon Servalan and the introduction of Dana. Yeah. Um, but as for Blake and Jenna not even being on screen um, I did like the way it was handled um, because you know if you start the episode where the Liberator is complete turmoil bits of it are falling down everywhere um, I'm not exactly sure what putting trays over the smoke ducts was actually going to how it was going to help so (laughs) (laughs) bless Villa but um the fact that it was kind of explained away at the beginning, you're like, well, all right. And then halfway through the episode, you're, you're kind of reassured by the fact that of all the people, it, it, it's Blake and Jenner off screen that are okay, but there's some question mark over Callie and Villa. So you're actually a bit more concerned about the cast members who are hanging around rather than the those that weren't actually coming back. No, but I think overall it's well handled, and the fact that they still factor into the plot as well, they're not just, you know, immediately forgotten. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely for the best. Because I mean, how, how many 
TV shows like have reacted really badly to like the departure of a cast member. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, <laughs> Do- Doctor Who did it very ham-fistedly when the, the character of Dodo left. When <laughs> just halfway through the story, she doesn't even have a goodbye scene. It's just like, oh, she sent you a message. She's going to stay with somebody's parents. Oh, what? what? <laughs> and um, yeah, not not to kind of presuppose what I'm going to talk about at the end of the episode, but we've uh, uh, bigger on the inside have just done their episode on uh, Trial of a Time Lord. Ah, yes, yes. Another well-known, well, yeah, very exactly. badly handled for, character departure. Yeah, for, for, for next episode, uh, I believe they have to <laughs> uh, handle a regeneration from one man into himself. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> one man in a wig into a man who took off the wig. But, uh, that aside, um, it, I mean, it was handled as well as it could have been. I think. Okay. I'm not sure if there was a better way of doing it, to be honest, without just straight straight out killing them off. Well, that was the obviously the two options that they had on the table. That either they died on the Liberator, sort of during the battle, mm. or that, I mean, I think the idea of having them escape kind of leaves the door open for either either of them to return. Yeah. Which certainly at the time they didn't know, if, presumably, if either of them would return or would be open for returning. Yeah. But yeah, they they haven't completely shut the door on the characters. Which I think is yeah a good thing. Uh, well, we also have a new title sequence. We do, yes. Which is uh, it's less involved than the old one. It's basically just the Liberator being chased by pursuit ships. <laughs> Perhaps I didn't have all the scripts together at the time. <laughs> it's like, quick, we need a theme. <laughs> well, I mean, there is that long-standing tradition of sort of uh, British television in the seventies. The opening credits sort of telling a little story in their own right and. Certainly, the uh, the opening credits for the first two series did that. It sort of tells a little story and sort of lets you know that you know this person's being tortured. There's a bad people and somebody wants to kill him, and there's a spaceship in it. And it's like yeah, it tells a little story. Yeah. Whereas this is just sort of like they're chasing us, run away. <laughs> well, in a way, they kind of had to because for the first half of the show, obviously there were two images of Blake himself. Well, yes, I mean. And considering he's not going to be in the show anymore, having his... Well, it's bad enough it's still called Blake Seven, never mind just <laughs> having his face in the opening credits of every episode, just to remind you he's not there. Yeah, I think of the two things you can change more easily, it would be the titles. Because, um, yeah. I, I don't know, if it suddenly became Blast Away with Avon, uh, <laughs> people might go, wait, what? What happened to Blake Seven? <laughs> Avon Seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pearls of brand recognition. <laughs> well, quite. Um, but as for the titles, I mean, they they use models, so it yeah. has a slight 3D kind of effect. But uh, yeah. <laughs> emphasis on the word "slight." Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's it's sci-fi, and it's British, therefore it's cheap. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I remember saying in the first episode, I love the music as much as I find the the title to be a bit silly. And, yeah. I mean, okay, it tells a story, but it does still... With modern eyes, it does look inherently dated. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it has dated. And again, it, 
it's from that era of BBC opening title sequences which did that so he is a, you know, a product of its time oh and absolutely and I, I, I'm not criticising it for it because obviously no. you know we're, again we're, this is what 35 years on since the show started yeah. pretty much um, so you know who, who'd have thought in those heady days that 35 years later we'd be talking about it over Skype and we'd be like what's, <laughs> what's Skype In- internet telephone what's the internet uh, what's a podcast for that matter culture shock aside <laughs> do we have much more to say about this episode I mean it's in terms of plot points and stuff it's actually very simple isn't it um I think one last thing we should talk about is the kind of cliffhanger ending. Ah, yes. Yes, the... Uh, well, I mean, it's the first cliffhanger ending we've had in a long while, isn't it? Absolutely. And, I mean, that's why you can tell, and it, it goes back to the email we had earlier, this is why the, the two episodes we're covering today work as a kind of feature-length kind of, like, mini-movie. Because it is essentially a two-part story, but both parts stand alone very well, and you have this one exchange that links the two together. Yeah. Well, should we see what... um, Go to the feedback and see what Gareth had to say. Righto. I mean, it's bullet points, really. Okay. But he says that you can instantly tell from the first couple of minutes that not only the epic space battle was never going to be realised, but also who from the original regulars were going on. True enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avon lands on the not so on the planet of the not so apes and picks up Dana, who's a weapons expert. We finally have Avon seeing through Serverland and giving her what I think must rank as one of Avon's best ever lines. Imagination, my only limit. I'll be dead in a week. <laughs> I've. A- but I wouldn't say finally seeing through Servalan. Oh yeah, no, he, 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 he does see through her sort of pretty instantly. <laughs> pretty much. Quick question: Why was Avon given a space bracelet? He was put in the pod with Orak and doesn't need one. Um, it's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, presumably, if they knew that the Liberator was going to be teleporting them back, I mean, actually, one thing I didn't cover in the synopsis was uh, they leave the Liberator sort of badly damaged, but because of the Liberator's sort of self-repair systems by the time that uh, Avon contacts Zen via Aurac, that uh, most of the repairs are complete. Yeah. So it is logical that they'd all take a teleport bracelet with them, if only to be able to contact the ship again. Yeah. Because obviously, yeah, it, it functions as a communicator as well. And also, I mean, Aurac's only meant to work for teleports rather than actually have the capacity to teleport. Well, I mean, he can only teleport if somebody's holding him. Can Aurac teleport himself? I don't... Presumably he could get a bracelet around him. Well, no. I mean, what I mean is... Avon would have to have had a bracelet... So that he could actually have been carried by the teleporter. And he would be holding Orak, So Orak would teleport with him. But yeah. Orak would not be able to teleport... I don't think he'd be able to teleport Avon without the bracelet. Because Orak doesn't have a bracelet, obviously. And... No. He doesn't have his own teleportation capacity. No. So Avon would have to have a bracelet. Exactly. And yeah. um, they would all have and again they would all have to have bracelets in order to contact the ship to get picked up anyway. Exactly. But he also says it's a good job he did have one, otherwise Dana would have not, never got on the um liberator. Which yeah. Why he has more than one, because it turns out he has like three. Because <laughs> he gives one to Dana, who um and Serverland gets one as well, so 
don't know whether they're just all left with a big bag of bracelets. So, do we have a bracelet count of one, then? I don't know. I think maybe we don't, because... They presumably must get the bracelet off Serverland in order for Serverland not to be teleported up with them. So, do we actually have three bracelets, or do we actually just have two? Like, one and a spare? No, because Dana had... I think Dana still had a bracelet. Or did... I can't remember if Dana still had a bracelet, or whether Avon gave his bracelet to Serverland and took Dana's bracelet. I'm not sure... i tell you what, what I'll do. I'll, I'll put a mark down this. Uh, I'll call my pal Statistician Ian. And he can sort oh, yes. it do, out. Do, do call him. Yeah, I will. He's, he's a lovely fan. I've got a lot of time for him. Oh, good. <laughs> it must be the name. Yes. And uh, he, all, he ends with saying, uh, what a cliff... What a cliffender. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming he means cliffhanger rather than the fact that Cliff Richard just sort of turns up at the end. I was going to say, what a portmanteau. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you for those thoughts there, Gareth. Yep. So, uh, shall we crack on to the next episode? By all means. Oh. Help me, will you, Zen? I'm in bad trouble. Sounds big and bad-tempered. I just hope it's vegetarian. Is there anybody there? There's something moving out there, man. Keep your weapons ready. Yes, sir. Now, don't be nervous, men. There are ten of us. And all heavily armed. I just hope that whoever's out there has the good sense to leave us alone. I'm going to give them ten seconds to get away from here. One. Two. Three. Hold your fire, men. I'm a humane man. I'm going to give them another ten seconds. The poor devils don't know that it's certain death if they attack us. One. Yes, it's my arm. I think it's broken. Has affected your mind, I think. My mind? You were talking to yourself in different voices. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I was talking to my men. Communicator. My men are positioned all around here. I give them their orders through this and I can hear them answer. We've been watching you. You are alone. And you do not need to explain to me about communicators. I am quite familiar with them. Well, that seems to cover everything. Okay, so our next episode is Power Play. Take it away, Mr. Wilson. What are you doing on board my ship? Your ship? The familiar end of the last episode, and indeed the beginning of Power Play. Uh, the man uh, is then flanked by uh, several other people in Federation outfits, and... Um, Essentially, Avon has to really think on his feet uh, to recover and to uh, not give himself away. So he is Chevron uh, with his wife Dana, and uh, they're a couple who have uh, lost everything from their ship and their life pod just so happens to have docked on board the Liberator. 
So the man who uh, has claimed ownership of the Liberator introduces himself as uh, Tarrant. There's a name we've heard before. Um, Indeed. <laughs> and so um, uh, they take uh, uh, <laughs> Avon and uh, Dana to the uh, flight deck. Uh, Dana looks gobsmacked as she's going uh, round uh, this ship, whereas uh, Avon obviously is a bit more overtly familiar with it. And um, essentially, as soon as they get there, they're then interrogated by um, the kind of leader of the Federation troops, because Terence technically is superior uh, to the leader, but uh, the leader, who is called uh, Clegg, <laughs> what an irony, um, <laughs> is... <laughs> A leader called Clegg paying second fiddle to a slightly posh as <laughs> It's as relevant today as it was <laughs> in Thatcher's Britain. Um, where was I? Right, um, yes, uh, Clegg um, essentially interrogates uh, Avon about um, the previous crew, and again, Avon has to kind of deny all all knowledge. However, Clegg's noticed that the fact that um, the Liberator took a slight deviation in order to be in range for uh, uh, the moment where Avon and Dana just so happened to show up. And um, essentially they have a problem as of uh, the fact that the Liberator is kind of not responding to them whatsoever. Um which goes right back to the first time we saw the Liberator, in that, um, you know, essentially it takes a while to actually figure out what's happened. And um, also, Zen is still responsive uh, to the Liberator crew that we know and love. So um, uh, he's only programmed to actually <laughs> take orders from Blake 7. So essentially they're trying to... Um, get as many details as possible on uh, the original crew, and Clegg is actually suspicious that Avon might just happen to be one of them. That and the fact that the Liberator is heading towards an intermittent uh, signal or a distress call. So, essentially, um, Clegg has hit upon an idea that um, the computer will respond to someone uh, that originally used to man the ship, and Avon's very kind of um, worried about this, so luckily Dana goes first. Uh, Avon hesitates and kind of puts his hand to his shirt, to which Tarrant knocks him the fuck out. <laughs> and and um, He's touching his collar! Yeah, exactly! He's got a gun! <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so Dana kind of punches him in the face and makes for one of the other guards, but uh, she's subdued. So they're taken away to the holding cells, and um, it, it, it's very obvious by now that Clegg and Tarrant really don't like each other, um, because Tarrant is a haughty chap. <laughs> Um, to, to say the least whereas uh, Clegg is a really kind of aggressive nasty piece of work 
So, um, so Craig reckons they'll try again once uh, Avon's regained consciousness. Um, we then find out that the distress call happens to be from Villa, because uh, we hear him over <laughs> the, the tannoy. And um, we, now, we then get two minutes of Michael Keating being awesome. Not just <laughs> not just awesome, hilarious. I I was guffawing throughout, which is why I sounded a bit distressed during the emails to hear that that bit had actually been cut out of that feature length bit, because essentially um, Villa's injured, he's broken his arm slightly, so um, he's moaning and in pain, but he's he's still got his bracelet, he's still got his gun uh, but Zen can't respond to him uh, Actually that's not right um, Zen is responding but Villa isn't picking it up They, uh, I think Tarrant speculates that the receiver must not be working Well it's it's more that Zen wasn't communicating with Villa Well, Although they do say they're registering a, a response from the ship Yeah but not in the form of kind of spoken word well, maybe Zed was sending some sort of signal then, but whatever it is that Zed is sending, Villa isn't getting it. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. So, Villa <laughs> openly voices his his fear of the planet, and once he hears something rustling, um, he has some brilliant lines here. Uh, <laughs> um, he very much hopes this isn't carnivorous, and then pretends to be like the captain of a, a squadron. <laughs> soldiers <laughs> and it gives them till a count of ten before the guards rush him completely oblivious of the fact that a spearhead is being pointed at the side of his head <laughs> and he carries on going for like another 10-15 seconds <laughs> oh dear um, luckily it turns out um but the man with the spear, who's uh, a who's a native of the planet called Lom, um, is a kindly man. Offers him food and uh, uh, to set his arm with the help of his fellow tribesman who dresses like a Trojan. And um, uh, we then go back on board for Liberator with uh, uh, conscious Avon and uh, Dana apologises for not. Uh, killing a mere two men uh, to which Avon's kind of dry response was oh well we all have our off days and um, essentially Avon reckons he's got the jump on him because uh, he knows the ship better than anyone on board and so um, having worked out uh, the lock of the cell he steps out of the door and goes this is my ship <laughs> and um, from here it's it's pretty much like he's going to stalk and pick off all the men on board the Liberator one by one he's, he's kind of kind while wearing a dirty vest he's kind of like a xenomorph in that respect he's John McClane well, <laughs> die hard on the Liberator <laughs> with that hair <laughs> either way um so, uh, <laughs> Avon and Dana escape, 
and uh, so to sink down into the uh, kind of service tunnels in the floor. Well, you you, you missed you missed the I, bit there. Yeah, I was just about to double back. Um, yep. <laughs> they were um, they were going to jump the guard, only to find out that the guard is actually already dead because uh, his knife has already been plunged into his back. And Ava notes, yeah, it's a bit difficult to commit suicide that way. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of rushed for time because uh, Tarrant and Clegg uh, are, are kind of on, on their heels. So they sent out a search party. Whilst Avon's in the service tunnels, um, he, as much as tells Dana that uh, what he learnt from Aurak... Where is Aurak, by the way? Because obviously he beamed back up, but then he kind of disappears throughout well, the Well, presumably he's still, he's still in the case mm. that Avon brought him back up in. And it, so if they stashed him somewhere with the intention of picking him up but were interrupted by Tarrant, there's no reason that they should know where he is. But I thought Tarrant stuck a gun on them pretty much straight away. Well, look, you see them putting the teleport bracelets back in the... Uh, ah, you're right. They no. have a bit of a chat first, You're, don't you're they? right. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, okay, never mind. So, um, Aaron notes that Blake and Jenna have been confirmed alive. Um, Callie and Villa haven't, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're dead. And from here we cut to Callie. Um, hey! Hooray! Who, who's in a space hospital kind of ship. Um, which and uh, essentially they're being treated by um, uh, I don't know space nurses. Um, it turns out that they're from a neutral planet um, called Chengda, and so obviously you can't pull rank for being Federation or being uh, rebels or, or whatever. So uh, they're going around picking up as many injured people as possible and kind of nursing them back to health. It turns out that Callie's actually suffered very horrific... Um, or <laughs> She was badly scorched and um, sustained heavy facial burns. So obviously she looks exactly like Freddy Krueger. Except uh, there probably wasn't that much of a makeup budget. Um, so instead she gets to wear a, a kind of perspex helmet. Um better known as a Regen mask and uh, her burns have nearly pretty much all healed um, so this uh, prison chip is going to one survival call Pr- prison chip? It's pr- sorry, uh, hospital ship um, is going to answer one final distress call before they're all full up uh, and they fly back to um, Chengda and they land on like this kind of desolate planet and there's a seed of um, an idea planted in your head that it might actually be Villa. But the person they actually end up picking up is... <laughs> it's for new cosplay Travis. <laughs> that is to say it's Jingle. It's to get that way, isn't it? Servalan. <laughs> uh, Servalan has been picked up from her undersea ship headquarters. Uh, and um, so she tries ordering these neutral people around without success, whilst Callie kind of 
tries to hide, <laughs> uh, just shy away from her. Um, meanwhile, uh, we go back to um, the planet that Villa's actually on, and he's being um, helped back to their base. Only to learn that uh, the planet's full of hunters um, who get paid um, to stalk their prey and capture them. And um, they, they don't have enough time to say why this is such a terrible thing. Um, and before we actually go forward with that, we go back to Avon and Dana going through exactly the same space tunnels and going back into the same passageway, kind of, to uh, try and make their way to the part of the ship that they want to be at. And um, they do manage this, although Dana kind of makes a hash of putting the lid back so that the uh, kind of handles are up. Um, so this draws the attention of guards uh, who uh, get Tarrant and um, uh, Clegg to get there, whilst uh, Avon has a play with the computers, and he's like, ha, now we have the upper hand. And um, he launches a uh, kind of... Uh, uh, oh, help me! What what is what's it called? Oh, what the uh, the life capsule? Life capsule. There we go. And then they have the brainwave of um, buying themselves some time and going back to the cell and uh, waiting it out as the liberator homes in ever closer on the distress signal. Uh, the guards shoot at whatever they think is actually in the tunnel. It now does it turn out that there's another guard in there? Yes. Because so, yeah, someone ends up actually getting shot. Well, because the guard you see um, standing over the hatch, he looks up to a mysterious person and says, oh, we've got them, sir. And the next time you see him, he's down the hatch. Yeah. So, again, um, members of <laughs> uh, Clegg's forces are being picked off one by one. So, we've got that going on. Meanwhile, uh, back on the planet... Uh, Lom gets tranquilised. Uh, the Trojan carries him off. Villa attempts to follow, but he's too busy kind of feeling his arm. And um, loses them. And stumbles into the grasp of the hunters, who the um, uh, natives dub the high techs. And Villa reckons he's staring down death. He's actually staring down two rather attractive young women... Uh, who take pity on him, um, who speak English, <laughs> who understand what he's saying, and um, tell it from their sides. Um, what they do is they capture the primitives to reintegrate them into society, and uh, we need them. They're important to us, and uh, Equates Villa is essentially one of them. Um, it's a tad sinister, and Lom wakes up to find out that uh, he's gone and says, oh, well, may his soul rest in peace. So you know something's not quite right about the Hunters. Meanwhile, on board the hospital ship, um, uh, Callie tries to make contact with Villa, and just when he's having his arms seem <laughs> to, causing him a, a kind of jolt of pain, that kind of jolts Callie up and uh, attracts Servland's attention. So, Servalan now gets to exchange pleasantries with Callie, um, who kind of gets the last laugh knowing that uh, her orders are kind of useless on board a, a kind of neutral ship, <laughs> which Servalan quickly finds out. 
Um, however, Servalan uh, let slip that she's actually seen Avon since then. So Callie's kind of relieved to, to, to hear that he's alive. Uh, speaking of Avon, he's been pacing around his cell uh, trying to uh, piece together the mystery of uh, who killed the guard. Uh, so he has Dana stay in the cell whilst he goes to investigate and uh, catches a guard doing something in one of the rooms. Um, on Elsewhere, I don't know how to shorten this, Dave. I do apologise. No, no, that's fine. Um, a lot happens. A lot happens. Terence uh, notes that the distress call is coming from uh, Chengdu, which is uh, you know the location of the hospital ship. Uh, Claire goes off to check the teleport bay. Terence goes somewhere else. Um, so Avon makes his way and uh, gets to Zen and uh, is updated about the current status of the rest of the crew and it turns out because Villa was whining the most and said that he was in grave peril um, he became the top priority uh, and the, the ship is <laughs> essential <laughs> I know, it's, it's quite a nice little moment um, so they're within three hours away of uh, being within teleport's range Aven hears footsteps, so uh, he gets out of there, and we see that uh, Clegg and the guards have dragged uh, an unconscious Dana to the flight deck. There are quite a few twists in this story, um, which is why I want, <laughs> I want to be as exhaustive as possible, in the literal sense <laughs> of the word. I'm getting exhausted. Um... <laughs> The height. <laughs> this is a Chris Boucher episode, buddy. No, because it's a good episode. Um, <laughs> the high techs. Now, now he wrote Star One. Oh, I know that's true. That's true. Um, the high techs again. Um, kind of sell about the the kind of history of their planet, how it's essential. The people who wanted to leave rural lives against the people who wanted uh, to use their scientific intuition to help benefit society as much as possible so they they capture the rural folk to uh, benefit the community which again there are sinister undertones Avon goes back to his cell on the Liberator and is ambushed by a guard called Harmon and uh, Tarrant quickly joins him um, and essentially says yep I know that you're Ker Avon uh, because, you know, you said your ship right at the beginning of the episode, which isn't typical of s some strange uh, people who just wander on. I mean, Terran isn't exactly smarmy. He is um, kind of impressed. Uh, although he does get a <laughs> in the line where, well, you could have been Villa. <laughs> where essentially it's like, I know what Blake looks like, um, and there are two other men. And I look too intelligent for Villa. It was an even bet. <laughs> Which causes Avon to break out one of his terrifying smiles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Avon manages to deduce that uh, the other guard, Harmon, was the murderer because he is the guard he saw in the other room. The strong room, featuring all the Claire's accessories' riches. Um, <laughs> This causes Harmon to growl comedically, 
and um, uh, they quickly have a fight. Avon actually loses, but before Harmon can shoot Avon, and he was going to shoot Avon, uh, Tarrant actually shoots him. And the twist is... <laughs> Tarrant was the killer. And we find out that actually Tarrant isn't a Federation officer at all. Um, he um, was a wanted criminal uh, who stole the uniform of a fairly high-ranking uh, Federation man. And essentially blagged his way onto the Liberator. <laughs> Because uh, well, to be fair, he he says he has been trained as a Federation space captain, so he has had Federation training, so knows the procedures and stuff. It's not like he just sort of started pretending. Okay, that's that's fair enough. Um, <laughs> but essentially, he made his way onto the Liberator and quickly assumed control uh, once Clegg and uh, his cohort showed up, uh, which is why they have such an uneasy friendship. But unfortunately, as uh, Terence is explaining all of this to Avon, and also why he knocked Avon out earlier, um, to kind of delay the revelation of his name, one of uh, the other guards actually hears it, because it turns out that uh, Clegg and his cohorts are actually a death squad of the Federation. So all of them are pretty mean, lean, and dangerous to know. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he runs away, and Avon uh, notes, well, it would have been easier uh, if, you'd, if your identity was still kind of unknown to them, but, uh, oh, well, there's only three of them. And Terrence's like, yeah, but they've got Dana, so that's a problem. <laughs> and whilst this is going on, Villa has found himself uh, registered at uh, one of the scientific bases of uh, the, the hunters. So he bids his departing friends, uh, the two women called Z and Bar, he, he bids them farewell and thanks them for for all, all their help. How nice of them to be paid to bring him in as a bounty. It's, it's just a really nice thing that they did. Um, so he obliviously kind of walks into the building and um, as he's shown which direction to go to, we bu- he bumps into Callie, because it turns out that the nurses are these high-tech people. Uh, so the plot thickens there. They're, they're glad to see each other alive, uh, and so as not to hold up the rest of the crew, uh, or the queue, sorry. Um, they head into the kind of processing area. And then from out behind, from Servalan shows up, and barks commands at as many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, we find out that Callie's a bit suspicious of the hospital. Villa is as oblivious as ever, uh, to the extent that he's kind of reluctant to rejoin the Liberator, um, as they're given some, some pills to have and some water to wash it down with. Back on board the Liberator, the flight deck's empty. Zen tells them that Clegg and Dana and the remaining guards are at the teleport bay Taven notes, you know, if uh, Villa is coming back up then uh, we need to get Clegg out of the way quickly or he'll be dead to rights and Clegg threatens Dana's life um, and gives him a five minute deadline to surrender and uh, agree to his terms Avon goes in unarmed and strikes a deal 
with Clegg involving him selling out um, Tarrant. Dana doesn't want to go along with this, but it happens. Back on the planet, Servlan walks in to see uh, Callian Villa to wish them goodbye, to say, I've, I've bartered my way off this planet, but uh, just so you know, you're kind of in a slaughterhouse for an Orkin bank. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> and um, Callian Villa... Later! <laughs> exactly. Callie and Villa quickly find out that they're actually paralysed from the drug that they took. So, um, they're in a very bad way. They're fitted out with kind of green hospital gowns and white things on their forehead so that they can be humanely killed before their organs are removed from them. So, that's about to happen. They're about to flip the switch for that. Um, however, Avon's uh, double cross turns out to be a triple cross as uh, he, Tarrant, and Dana all set about knocking out the remaining guards. Uh, Dana kills Clegg, and essentially uh, Villa and Callie get beamed up in the nick of time, that old trope. Avon notes it's best to introduce uh, Villa to the rest of them now, whilst he's unconscious. And Dana and Tarrant have their voices officially recognised by Zen, and entered into the memory banks, there's a joke made at uh, Villa's expense by Avon, and that kind of wraps up our two parts introduction to series six, six, three, or or C. Series six. I, know. I was going to say C, <laughs> and I was like, no, a number. C. Oh damn. <laughs> oh well. We can't even edit that out now, can we? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Bugger. Yep. Uh, I quite like... I mean, this is very much a game of two halves, this episode. Because you have the, obviously, the, the die-hard stroke murder mystery on board the Liberator, and introducing Tarrant as a character. Yeah. And then you have uh, Villa, Callie, and Servaland's adventures on, on Chenda. Yes. Of the two, I prefer the Liberator storyline. I think Tarrant is introduced very strong here. Absolutely. Avon's impressed that his reasoning that how he worked out that um, Avon was a member of the crew and which member of the crew he is. <laughs> he gets a slight jab in as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. So he, <laughs> but that's Avon. No, no, I'm talking about Tarrant. Oh, yes. <laughs> He's got a swagger, that boy. <laughs> and he does seem very clued up. I mean, like, he spots the... Um, the maintenance hatch way before anybody else does. I mean, he sees it when it's closed and sort of looks down and sort of puts two and two together and works out where they are. And because, again, he doesn't want to impede them, he just sort of leads the search elsewhere. Yeah. Well, that's a bit... The reveal, uh, once you actually find out that he is actually not on the Federation side, then it makes certain actions that he does that much better. Because he has to explain... <laughs> and kind of apologised to Avon for knocking him out um, earlier. Because, I mean, his initial thing was, Oh, I thought he had a gun! There's no gun here, <laughs> sir. Well, I must be losing my mind. <laughs> I mean, having having lost um, Gareth Thomas as the what, space adventurer Rod Blake, we now seem to be being offered a uh, another curly-haired, <laughs> rakish space adventurer. I was going to say, with similar hair. 
Yeah, it, it, it's the reason that Gillian uh, refers to him as Not Blake. Really? <laughs> she doesn't call him Tarrant, she calls him Not Blake. <laughs> well, in fairness, he is Not Blake. Yes, <laughs> Blake and Not Blake. Nothing gets past Gillian. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but again, here, I mean, he's sort of like made out to be a, a bit of a, almost kind of a Han Solo ish kind of. Ra- roguish kind of space adventurer type who's uh, was trained by the Federation and managed to get on board and as you say sort of blag his way past Clegg and his men yeah, and then starts picking them all off one by one and you know it's a very strong intro- I mean like you see what Tarrant and Dana are both going to bring to the table oh yeah absolutely it's like, it's like Dana's obviously got the fighting ability which she gets to put on display here as well she does a lot of uh, kicking people in the face <laughs> And Tarrant is clearly going to bring us an element of cunning and tactics, which may have been missing previously. He has the gift of the gab. Well, I mean, I think here, obviously you get the impression he's going to be fulfilling Jenna's role. In terms of, you know, he's a trained space captain and a pilot, and I suppose that allows him to fill the gap left over by Jenna. And yet he's also, I mean, as much as he is not Blake, uh, apart apart from the hair... He does have that kind of um, charisma that kind of makes him like a kind of natural kind of, um, uh, you know, operative. Yeah. Whereas Avon, I mean, Avon's awesome, obviously, but <laughs> he his chari- and he does have charisma, but his charisma is very different. Uh, it's like if you want to, like, try and go up and win the trust of some new natives um, you'd probably want to put Tarrant forward rather than Avon Avon might be able to impress them with intelligence and logic but sometimes people are very vain like the <laughs> charismatic uh, confidence kind of guy <laughs> I will say this now I really like this episode I don't I don't even think it's so much a, a thing of two halves. It splits itself into three, and yet it it really does hold my attention throughout. And the amount of twists that just keep coming and coming and coming really just keep you invested the whole way through. Because it, it, this felt like one of the longer ones, but it ticked over very nicely, and there were some very interesting kind of side characters in there were a lot of side characters in this one. Oh yeah. And it was really good seeing the way that kind of Villa and Callie were reintroduced. Because if you think about it, I mean and this is going back to the kind of soft reboot kind of thing that I brought up earlier. Once again we're kind of seeing the Liberator crew becoming the Liberator crew again. And, you know, having to get back on board and, um, you know, being reintroduced to why they're useful and, and what they bring. So we we had Avon, you know, as, like, the central character and we, we got introduced into why Dana would be good. In Powerplay, we get to see why Tarrant would be good. And we get reintroduced to Villa as the kind of naive coward. <laughs> And we get to see Callie as a capable telepath uh, and, and what have you. So, I don't know, it was kind of like um, 
Cygnus Alpha and Spaceflight kind of meshed together in a way. There was one stage when Villa's getting picked up by Z and Bar when he's he's sitting there and the ladies are saying sort of nice words to him and they're feeding him and they're tending to his arm and saying, Oh, we're so glad we found you and yeah. stuff. You get the feeling that I think Villa thinks he's in a porn film. <laughs> well, like a bad 70s porn film. He's like, if I play my cards right here, I'm going to get some action. <laughs> You're so nice, what you do for these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you do just want to slap him and go, you idiots. <laughs> but it. if there's one character that you can realistically have not seeing like a bigger picture and kind of being led astray then obviously it's Villa oh I mean absolutely it really works for his character yeah. I mean like you know straight away from what Lom's told him and everything that these people are dangerous and yet because they're a couple of pretty ladies if it was a couple of blokes with those hunter guns <laughs> He'd still be cowering Villa would have just yeah yeah Villa would have run away in an instant but because they're a couple of attractive women Villa's like hello ladies <laughs> Alvinus. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a point. Did we get to see any um, of the high techs as they were, and then later we see that the kind of nurses and hospital people in them? Did we actually see any male members of staff? Not members of, not direct members of staff. No, they all seem to be female. And you get to see all of the kind of primitives were male. Well, both of them. <laughs> all two of them. But although Vela was kind of like just like offered just accepted as oh he's kind of like a primitive it'll be the same thing we'll still get a bounty for him I suppose it is a bit Star Trek (laughs) having sort of like the primitive men and the advanced women is a very Star Trek thing I suppose well especially if you've seen the episode of Spock called Spock's Brain of course I haven't (laughs) which is shit (laughs) is it it, it's Star Trek's The Web. <laughs> so, what's it called? Spock's Brain. <laughs> With a title like that, it sounds like a winner. Spock has his brain stolen. <laughs> I won't elaborate anymore. But <laughs> right. Paging love film. <laughs> I've stuck Time Flight on there. Perhaps it would make a good double header. Series 3 of the original series of Star Trek, if you really want to check out the enormity that is Spock's brain. <laughs> but where were we? <laughs> uh, yes, Villa. Villa. <laughs> His reintroduction, uh, granted he was, he was in Aftermath briefly, but it reminded me of everything I loved about Villa. Oh yes, I mean, as you say, that scene where he's sort of a commanding <laughs> a legion of one. <laughs> And being completely oblivious of the fact that someone's got the drop on him ages ago. And he's carrying a gun as well, and he's still... He's still... He's still... That's the thing, like, you give Villa a gun, he's, he's... I mean, it's one of the nice things about Villa, is the fact that even when he's got a gun, he doesn't want to use it. He, Villa isn't a killer. No. But even in self-defence. <laughs> he's very rarely, yeah. I don't think... Have we ever actually seen Villa shoot anyone? Shh. He stabbed somebody in, um... Sickness um, Alpha. Yeah, and that, that was kind of by accident as well. Yeah, and even then he looked a bit shocked at the pool afterwards. But yeah. since then, I don't think we've actually see, seen him shoot him. I have think we? you're right. I think you're right. Either way, um, okay, yes, he does get a bit irritating towards the end, but. Um, 
But again, that's that's the thing. I mean, he was built up. So, I mean, obviously, he was fairly prominent in the first series, but he was kind of built up so much in the second series that any you know kind of weakness in character can be explained away as you know that's kind of his character. And oh, I mean, he he is a mess of weaknesses. <laughs> About cowardice, alcohol, women. <laughs> and he's so synonymous with the show at this point, but you're just like, yeah, that's Villa, all right. <laughs> Essentially, he is Blake Seven's shaggy. <laughs> yep, <laughs> can't argue with that. Callie is Velma. <laughs> well, somebody needs to do that, the Blake Seven crew is a Scooby-Doo. Yes. Actually, I did find I stumbled upon uh, while looking for pictures for the podcast. Someone has done a very nice um, anime-style picture of the Blake Seven crew, like an illustrated thing. Really good. I've, I've seen individual kind of anime ones, like from people's deviant art pages. Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if you Google um, Blake Seven anime, you get this like, very nice group shot. Okay, I'll give it a go now. What do we think? I mean, I thought Servalan in this was once again fantastic. Yeah. I mean, from the minute she sort of like, you know, just doesn't even barge on. She just sort of imperiously strides into the medical bay and just immediately demands to see the captain. <laughs> right. Like, I've had a hell of a day. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have to wonder how long she's been stuck on, um, what was the planet called? Uh, oh, from uh, last time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How long she was stuck on Saren before the hospital ship turned up? Well, you have it said that it was sort of like, yeah, the episodes picked up almost immediately yeah, after. Yeah, she can't so maybe Saren a day. Yeah, mm. but even so, a day alone on Saren with and <laughs> not being in power. <laughs> yes. Well, and and that's kind of the interesting thing we get throughout the rest of the episode. It's like, and she as much as says. I can't handle not really being in power for very long. <laughs> That's essentially what she says. And also, I mean, over the last two episodes, there's been the ongoing question of, is, is there anything for her to be in charge of? Because Servalan herself has you know, intimated that without Star One, there's going to be chaos across all, lots of civilised worlds, and Avon's sort of saying, well, maybe Blake's essentially one. And so here, Callie sort of says to her, well, you know, even if, you know, do you actually think the you saying your president of the Federation is going to mean anything to anybody. You want a neutral planet, and there may well not be a Federation anymore anyway. <laughs> in fact, um, she as much as says in the episode Star One, I will not be president of a dying Federation. No, well, oh, Ruby Dempo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Words to that effect. So, um, it, uh, it is nice seeing Servland trying to, you know, climb back into power, because she's a president but no one in the Federation knows where the hell she is so um, so again uh, and that's her kind of mini arc within this two-parter you know she just wants to now that she's officially kind of the president she now wants to kind of ascend to her throne but she can't because she doesn't have any transports yeah so that that, that shows you how uh, Servalan kind of ties up into all of this Going back on board in the whole kind of diehard slash alien kind of thing, I got quite a... not a whiff, because that implies I didn't like it, but um, there was a very much a vibe of uh, Mission to Destiny about this episode. 
Oh, isn't there, Joe? <laughs> there's a murder mystery. There's throwing someone off by uh, sending a life support thing off into space. Yep. You know. <laughs> I can't remember who wrote this one. Who wrote this one? Uh, Terry Nation. Well, well <laughs> Terry Nation reusing his own plot, then. Because <laughs> he wrote Mission to Destiny, as well. Oh, yeah, because it was uh, first season. <laughs> Nation's sitting there thinking, oh, it, it was two series ago. No one's going to remember <laughs> No one has VHS, it's 1980. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't repeat them, it's fine. I don't know if he ever spoke like that, but either way. Um, <laughs> the thing I had in my notes, it's like uh, when Terence explaining, yes, your life support thing kind of fooled uh, Clegg, but not me, because I was a big fan of Series 1, honestly, when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> when you deduced that, oh, it was brilliant. I mean, Terry Nation does have a bit of a reputation for um, reusing <laughs> plot points. Like for every Dalek story ever. Yeah, he, he often gets accused of putting the same stunt in lots of uh, Dalek stories. Yeah. But yeah, and I mean, I think in his defence, he, he's not. It's taken series three for him to pull the same stroke here. Yeah, they you know they they had a whole season off. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I think it's good to see. I mean, well, I think it's good to see for sort of people who know Mission to Destiny and sort of like, well, yeah, to spot that. But I don't think it's so overt that you can go. I don't think it completely spoils it. No. I mean, yeah, obviously, if you've seen Mission to Destiny, you know Mission to Destiny. You're going, oh right, okay. Mm. Having said that, I think it's it's played well enough for it not to be a massive problem. But I don't think it necessarily points to Tarrant necessarily as the the killer. Oh, they do try to throw you off with um Harmon. Yeah, oh yeah, because <laughs> um, for for his one minute of character, uh, he, he he did look like a kind of uh, a really mean antagonist, and you know he he gets the better of a fight with Avon, and I mean it's always hard to judge uh, exactly how good at fighting Avon is. Yeah, <laughs> but you know just as. Um, Harmon's about to, you know, blow Avon's head off. Tarrant casually just kind of shoots him in the back. Mm. And you're like, wait a second. Yeah, I'm Tarrant. I'm awesome. Now, <laughs> I knew that Tarrant was joining the crew when I first saw this. Yeah. So the revelation that Tarrant was behind it wasn't like, <gasps> you know, it, I I knew. So, I mean, I, I mean, were you aware of Tarrant being in Blake 7 I'm, before? I'm afraid I was, actually. Right, so... Um, I, 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 it's a pity in a way because I was kind of hoping to get a perspective of you know for, for somebody who didn't know that Tarrant was joining whether yeah. him being revealed to be behind it actually works because kind of with that foreknowledge it's always tainted by the fact that oh that's probably Tarrant then, I've got he's joining the crew that is true although it is kind of hint I mean granted you kind of alluded to a character called Cat Tarrant back in the, in the first episode so maybe there was yeah. subconsciously that but I mean the fact that he was actually credited at the end of Aftermath yeah, I think that's a slight hint and then the further you go through it you can see it's clearly there's this one character Tarrant and then there's Clegg and his Federation troopers and that's, that's not yeah. to say that I you know I mean that doesn't necessarily make it an inevitability because I mean if we think of um, oh, uh, oh what's his name 
there, Del Del Grant. This is yes. Del Tarrant, Del Grant. That's <laughs> that's why I was struggling. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, he would have made an awesome companion, and their what companion? A <laughs> crew member. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let it go, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, and there there have been select others in past episodes where you think, yeah, they'd make quite a good addition to the crew. Uh, but, oh, okay, they're, they're not for whatever reason. But, I mean, here where they're actively rebuilding the crew, there is actually no better time than to really have, like, the introduction of a fairly cool character. And, you know, the way the previous episode ends, the way this one begins, you know, it, it marks in a mouse immediately. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a shame that I knew that he was part of the cast. It's that damn Wikipedia page. It's it's yeah. shockingly spoilerific. So uh, I, I do. Well, yeah, if there's anybody out there who <laughs> didn't know that Tarrant was joining the crew when they first watched this, uh, by all means, drop us a line and let us know. Did the swerve work? Because that's right. <laughs> me and Ian were, were pre-swerved, so <laughs> we can't. We can't adequately judge how well it works, unfortunately. Then, I mean, when did you first watch this? Um, I first watched it when I um, acquired the, the majority of the series. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, the thing is, again, I I knew that Tarrant was in it because I'd, I'd had a couple of episodes of Series 3 on VHS. Yeah. And by which point, obviously, Tarrant... Oh, well, oh yeah, obviously, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, when I... When, Ended up going back to watch Aftermath. Obviously, I I knew Tarrant was joining up, mm. and also I I when I first like get into Blake Seven, there's a little book called the uh, the Blake Seven Program Guide, right? Which having not seen all of Blake Seven, I sort of poured through to sort of fill in the gaps. Uh, so I already sort of knew like yeah, the plot, the rough plot of this episode because it had like a little episode guide and <laughs> and that sort of thing going on. Fair enough. So I just sort because of, again I, at the time I couldn't afford the whole series on video, <laughs> right? So I. So instead of instead of sort of be, I, I sort of ran towards spoilers back then because again <laughs> in the days before the internet, yeah. because it, it was it was kind of the only way to view it. True. <laughs> you just actually sort of just read the episode guide and actually find out all the bits on it. I I did that with the Simpsons over the course of the nineties because because <laughs> we didn't have Sky until like two thousand two, and then yeah. uh, even then only for a couple of years. And my parents were like, "This isn't cost effective enough. We're getting rid of it." Because uh, they're both accountants, you see. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I was reliant on the airings of, of BBC Two, which was a, at least five years or so behind what they were on Sky. So, um, yeah. I had a book like getting me psyched up for every <laughs> for every episode to come. But I, I should say, I I do really like this episode because um, there's so much going on. The, the idea of the um, the high tech sort of basically mopping up uh, survivors of a space battle and taking them to a, like a charnel house eventually <laughs> yeah. is actually really sinister. It is, and I like the fact that that was like kind of the last twist to actually be revealed because you know it's it's been built up since at least the end of the first act of the episode and. You know, we we get introduced to the primitives, the high techs, and then who's the person who kind of like reveals the true horrible nature of it? Serverland. 
obviously. Um, you know, I mean, there's a wonderful exchange between her and Villa. I mean, like one day she comes in and talks to them both. I think it's Villa who does the majority of the talking. <laughs> he does, he? It's like we shan't meet again. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Kelly, I told you our luck was was changing. Ah, uh, but not for the better. <laughs> which is a which is a callback to something that Kelly said earlier. And the idea that they're paralysed as they're being sort of slowly killed. You think that this must be happening to all the other. It's not like yeah. Also, just as soon as they get rescued, the ship just fucks off, despite the fact that they're quite clearly slaughtering all these other people <laughs> they're picking up. So the battle, it's, like, it's not like they go back and do anything about it, it's just like, oh, well, fuck them. Well, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know how long they're paralysed for, to be fair. Yeah, but uh, all the other people on that hospital ship were going to get killed. And... <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> and there's, there's no comeuppance for the high techs to there isn't actually that's a great no, point <laughs> all, all that happens is they get denied access to Villa and Cali and they're going to get a shit ton of stuff from Servalan who negotiated like um, you know, being let go and like uh, being allowed to go home Either in return she's going to give lots of like equipment and finances and all sorts of stuff like that so basically, the place is still operational. <laughs> Everybody else on that hospital ship is going to get killed, slaughtered, and stored in organ jars. Yeah. No comeuppance. Well, perhaps they're recurring villains. No spoilers. They're okay. Not. <laughs> That's not exactly a. It's not exactly a spoiler if they don't shut up, is it? <laughs> but um, it's unusual that you know, a group of people like that. Obviously, yeah, obviously, villains for that sort of, you know, for the reasons of well, that, they're, that they are doing what they're doing, and yet they, they pretty much get away with it and are free to carry on. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> oh well, never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, had well, there you had go. There, <laughs> had there been um, like a, a character on board the present ship to Callie to kind of bond with, and like yeah. knowing that ultimately you know they're, they're going to suffer that fate then yes it is that much more chilling and I know why they couldn't do that because they didn't have time and obviously you had to well yeah there's just so much other yeah, stuff yeah you had to, and you had to make no way, way they for could another character. but um, in, in some ways it's kind of like um, that surgeon's assistant in uh, Breakdown oh yeah you know the pervert yes it's <laughs> Tommy Thomas <laughs> that's the one because you know in the end he dies I mean, he's not t- technically a villain, but you know the ship that he's on gets blown up. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that is by accident. These are people who are slaughtering hundreds of people for organs, and are quite clearly going to be carrying on doing it <laughs> for a long time. And yep, we we we, <laughs> we just have to pray for Lom and his Trojan pal. <laughs> no come up I tell you, no come up <laughs> Damn it, and these people are neutrals. <laughs> Not that neutral. Well, yeah, it's a so fun that they'll take anyone's all. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Do we have anything else to add about this one particularly? I have about three pages of notes, and I think we've covered most of them, so, yeah. Okay, well, so I will go to the email feedback first. Again, from uh, Gareth. He says, um, for power play, we get a game of hide and seek on the ship, and for the second time, to my knowledge, a uh, POV killer on Blake 7. 
as I've got seeing things from the killer's point of view. And he says, actually, it seems that even Avon knows this is similar to Mission to Destiny when he jets into the escape pod. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> uh, so Taran knew it was Avon all along. I also have to give the episode credit for the whole subplot of the high-tech versus primitives, which could have been an episode in its own right in any other series. I just love the way uh, Avon introduces Callie and Villa to Dana and Taran. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love his like, like, this is Callie, I'll introduce you later. This is Villa, I should probably introduce him now. He's at his best. <laughs> then he's, he's unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> he also adds, out of the two, I think they're both quite good episodes and I have a natural need for it to be one longer piece. However, that's probably because of my memories of the compilation tapes. Ah. Which is fair. I mean, yeah, again, if, you, if that's how you first viewed the two episodes, you are going to be naturally thinking that's how they should be. Yeah. And yet you were robbed of Villa's greatest lines. Well, yes. Uh, so, you, know, you, you win some, you lose some, basically. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to stick them on here. I, I think we'll have to sort, sort something out. Yeah. Okay. Um, we also have some audio feedback. Ah. From our friends from uh, the, from the Borg cast now, the Reverend uh, Peter Organ and Anne Marie. Okay. So let's see what they have to say about power play. Hello, chaps. Hello. You survived then? Yes. <laughs> Just. Referring to what? We both donned gore masks, yeah. and I twatted you to death because, <laughs> well, nearly within an inch of your life. <laughs> Some people pay good money for that. Yeah, because you <laughs> thought season two was better than season I one. Am. I stand by my decision. Are we going to have to fight it out again? <laughs> Another time. Maybe <laughs> you've got a bit of a masochistic streak. You <laughs> like losing. It's the feel of the rubber. Anyway, so uh, well, it took about five minutes to decide which episode we were going to feed back on. Yeah, they are both very, they very good. They are both exceptionally good. Um, it's a great start to the season. You've got Obviously, in the first one, you introduced to Dana, who's mm. obviously a very strong character. And I guess the second episode is partly introducing Tarrant, but it's also getting the band back together again. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting the band back or together. Or what's left of them, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, we've vaguely planned for the second one, I think, on that basis. Um, it, it does have a sterling performance by Mr. Bronson. It does. He probably has a real name, but I've only ever known him as Mr. Bronson. <laughs> Michael Sheard, I think. Oh, very good. Well done. Section leader Clegg. Yeah. It's not it his... was so funny, though, because <laughs> his name was Clegg, and he was blatantly the tea boy. Oh, I see. Very good. Yes, a political reference there. Took me a little while to realise. <laughs> oh, dear. How sad are you? Blatantly the tea boy. Well, he was going, oh, we should do this, we should do that, we should... And, and Tarrant was just completely ignoring him. Oh, yeah. Higher-ranking officer, or at least higher-ranking officer's uniform, anyway. So we've got section leader Clegg with his unfortunate accent. Yeah, sounding like one of his own pupils from Grange Hill. And there's that whole battle of wits thing going on with Avon and Dana, uh, and then Avon, Dana and Tarrant later on, when he, you know... But it's it's quite a nice reveal. I mean, I remember first watching it, you just didn't know which way it was going, and you did think the guy coming out with the bag of money was the, the, yeah. the, the guy who'd been offing his, his friends. There's a wonderful line, that's a, that's a difficult way of committing suicide. Perhaps it was cleaning it when it went off. That's <laughs> <laughs> very good. So, um, yeah, there's that nice to and fro. Then you've also got dear old Villa on the planet of the... Yeah. Those women with the very strange headlight props. And this is actually my first memory of watching Blake 7, either when it was originally shown or whether it was repeated. I'm not sure if it was repeated or not. But anyway, when I were a lad, and I caught it on telly, and those headlight things in the darkness that they use really scared the willies out of me. Of course, then you realise they're just very strangely dressed women. <laughs> yeah. 
And you had that angry Buddhist. Yeah, they were a bit, weren't they? Sort of cross between Buddhists and barbarians, weren't they? They're odd. Yes. It's a, the only thing that doesn't work for me, really, in this story is the presence of Servalan. Yeah, so soon after the previous episode, it's like, oh, by chance they've the same hospital ship, inverted commas, as founder with Callie and Villa on board. Doesn't seem hugely likely, really. But we well, got to remember she's got a teleport bracelet. They said they had a precise locator fix. Okay, maybe still pushing it a bit. I didn't find that. Yeah, she turns up on the same planet as Avon in the first episode, and now she's turning up conveniently being picked up in the same ship that Kelly's on, so, you know. I just thought it was... I mean, she's much better in the previous episode as well. She doesn't get so much to do in this one other than bribe her way out, basically. So it didn't. she didn't really need to be in it, I don't think. It's nice. Well, I don't know. I think she needed to be in it in terms of showing that she had got off the planet, that she had survived, that she hadn't been killed by the whatever that was called. Oh, that was always going to happen anyway. And you don't really see see how that happened anyway, because she somehow ended up on this other planet that's all windy and you know full of rocks and stuff. So she's got from there to there, and that's never explained. So no, but you need to know that she survived. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. Some nice outside broadcast work. Yep. The planet that Villa's on yeah. um, makes a change from NAF sets. Does. And the only other thing that really struck me watching it first time I ever noticed it, there's a Time Lord in it. Yes! 38 minutes in, when Villa's reunited with Callie, one of the people walking in the background is definitely wearing a Time Lord outfit. Yeah, he is. 38 <laughs> minutes 56, I think it was. Oh, yes. And finishes with a nice line Villa is at his best when he's unconscious. Yes. So, um, no, both episodes, great start to see season three. Yeah, they are. They are. This one, I think, is more interesting the first time you watch it than it is on subsequent viewings. Mm-hmm. Because still okay. Yeah, it's still good, but on this, the first time you watch it, I think it's very cleverly done, and you really don't know who's a goodie, who's a baddie, mm. how everything's going to no, play it is out. It's very well written. I think, it's, I think that is particularly clever. And thus far, the new characters seem interesting and... Yep. Add something interesting to the mix. So yep. It'll be interesting to see whether Dana as the new female, halfway through the season, ends up doing bugger all. Yeah. Okay, Japs. Catch you next time. God bless. Bye. Well, thanks for that, guys. Good to hear from you as always. Um, with regards to Serverland's convenience of showing up, I kind of took it as obviously the hospital ship is going yeah. through the area that the battle was in. And therefore, he's going to be stopping by sort of planets where, you know, where people might have escaped and might have landed. So, which is would have been how they would have found Callie. So, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have found Servalan on Saren for the same reason. If they're going around sort of yeah, planets in the area of the battle. Yep, makes sense. Mind you, having said that, I mean, Star One was meant to be in an isolated area all on its own. The last episode, right to the edge of space. So. It, even the battle took place over a massive area, which, you know, yes. it's a big galactic space battle, there's no reason why it shouldn't do. That would be my take on it, is the fact that you know, clearly the battle was in a, a certain area of space which had some planets on it, in which, you know, ships crashing or life pods or escape pods sort of landing on planets would have been within a certain area, so it is conceivable. And also, they, they did get a signal from Serverlands. Ah, but was it for a bracelet? Yeah. You know what? Stick it up. Stick it on the bracelet count. Right. Well, I'll, I'll pass it on <laughs> to the expert. Yeah. <laughs> Give the statistician the numbers. Right, so. <laughs> bracelet count.
Done. Hooray! Hey! <laughs> Memo written. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes, please. <laughs> Sorry, you have somewhere you need to be. <laughs> it's five past eleven. Fair enough. I have to work tomorrow. Well, in that case, let's bring on the Who Counts. Aftermath, we have um, Alan Lake, who played Chell, was Herrick in the Tom Baker story Underworld. Richard Franklin, who is one of the uh, two exposition troopers, uh, <laughs> played Captain Mike Yates in several unit stories. Oh, really? Yes, yes that, that was Captain oh. Yates. Okay. Michael Melia, who was the other trooper exposition, was the <laughs> Teraleptal leader in the, visi- in the Visitation. Stuart Fell, who played a Saren, we've covered in the past. He's oh, played many, I've, many I've roles. heard that name before. Yes, many roles. Yeah. Gareth Milne, who played a Saren, was, <laughs> uh, he's maybe a stuntman, but uh, on screen he was Peter Davison's stunt double in Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> I'm allowing it. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> Kevin White, who's also been uh, credited as Voice in Space. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I assuming he's the voice that says Star One's been destroyed. Must be. Um, he played Sam Rudge in the Mark of the Rani, which gives us a who count for aftermath of six. Okay. So uh, for power play, <laughs> the aforementioned Mr. Michael Sherrod, who uh, terrified many a certain schoolchildren of a certain generation by playing the fearsome Mr. Bronson in Grange Hill. The teacher, the two-page teacher from hell. Oh, with such a warm and cuddly name like Bronson. Yes. Uh, yeah, he played section leader Clegg. Uh, he's had many uh, leading roles over Who history. Uh, he played Ross in the William Hartnell story The Ark. Uh, Dr. Summers in The Mind of Evil, which is a John Pertwee story. Uh, he was Lawrence Scarman in, Pyri- in The Pyramids of Mars with Tom Baker. Uh, he was Low in The Invisible Enemy, also with Tom Baker. Uh, he was Murgrave in Castrovalva. Ah, yes. And he was uh, a school headmaster in Remembrance of the Daleks, with Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. And quite awesomely, he was also Admiral Ozzel in The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> okay. The, 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 uh, the Admiral who's so incompetent, Darth Vader can't even be bothered to be in the same room when you strangle him. <laughs> <laughs> just strangles him over the telly. <laughs> John Hollis, who played uh, Lom, was uh, Sondergaard in the John Pertwee story The Mutants, and was in The Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. Uh, he was Lobot. The, uh, you know, um, uh, tell me you've seen The Empire Strikes Back. I have seen The Empire Strikes Back. It's been a few years, yeah. but... Uh, you know Lando Calrissian's assistant, the guy with these sort of like headphone things on the back of his head? The ball yes. fella. Yeah, yes. that's, that's Lom. Hey! Or John Hollis. So, yes, 
Blake Seven has scored two actors who, who were also in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, the, and probably the person you mo- liked most in those scenes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I I know what I I remember your feelings towards Lando Calrissian. <laughs> oh, fucking Lando Calrissian! <laughs> I was going to say they're not warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Far from it. Michael Crane, who played uh, Mal, Andy's dad. <laughs> Uh, played Blore in The Curse of Peladon, and is just credited as an extra in Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> Preemie Townsend, who played Z, played uh, Moolah in The Pirate Planet. And uh, not part of the Who count, but uh, Judith, Julia Vidder, who played uh, her sidekick Bar, was Avalon in Project Avalon. Oh, was she? Yes, I, I was quite uh, caught by surprise by that when I looked her up as well. well I've got to say, I didn't recognise her. Avalon. <laughs> anyway, um, damn you, orgs. Uh, Adam Blatch, who played the receptionist, was the uh, the Matrix voice in the Deadly Assassin, and Fabian in the in the Twin Dilemma. She was the one who uttered the immortal line, "May I, my bones rot for a bed." I've not seen the Twin Dilemma. <laughs> I just remembered um, Dan and Mike being sort of a. Finding her delivery of that line quite risible when they covered it on Big on the Inside. <laughs> Michael Gordon Brown, who was a patient, played a Tharrell in Warriors Gate. Uh, Val Clover, who was a patient, played a citizen in Full Circle. Uh, Ian Ellis, who was a patient, played a citizen <laughs> in Full Circle. Nice. I'm assuming that Full Circle was filming next door and they just. <laughs> was it Tom Baker? Uh, yes, it was Tom Baker. Yeah, uh, 1980. Uh, Max Faulkner <laughs> has a bit of a list behind him. Uh, he uh-huh. was a he played a trooper, and uh, in Doctor Who he was a unit soldier in the Ambassadors of Death. He was an excellent in Death of the Daleks. He was a miner in the Monsters of Peladon. He was the second guard captain in Planet of the Spiders. He was a foul guard in Genesis of the Daleks. A crew member in the Planet of Evil. Uh, Corporal Adams in the Android Invasion, a guard in the face of evil, a rebel in the Sunmakers, and Nesbitt in the Invasion of Time. And a greengrocer in Warriors of the Deep. (laughs) Uh, Laurie Good, who also played a patient, played uh, a mutt in the Mutants, a Time Lord in the Invasion of Time, a bandit in the Creature from the Pit, a Tijelan in Meglos, a peasant in State of Decay, a Farrell in Warrior's Gate, a, a sailor on the ship The Shadow in the Enlightenment, and a unit trooper in Battlefield. Uh, and Pat a gardener Gorman. in... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, our old friend Pat Gorman... Hey! Uh, ...played the trooper. He was the uh, the first trooper to get killed, the one with the knife in his back. OK. And, uh, I won't list all of Pat Gorman's achievements, because, you know... <laughs> Not again. <laughs> no, <laughs> we haven't got time for that sort of thing. And finally, uh, Christopher Holmes, who was a patient, play- again, he's been mentioned in the past, but uh, he played Jenny in Time of the Rani, amongst many other roles. That brings us an overall who count of 12. So, uh, wow. Uh, so our new recurring uh, stars uh, have not actually been in Doctor Who? No, they haven't. No, I did check. Uh, oh yeah, I'm not saying you didn't. <laughs> ah, very interesting, indeed. With a view to bringing these events to a close, anything new happening over at uh, Earth2.net? 
it's it's awards season. Is it indeed? Uh, at the moment. Uh, in fact, so and we're, <laughs> um, we're actually trying something new this year because uh, the person who usually does it uh, doesn't quite have time, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so we're actually uh, trying the democratic way of um, uh, voting through polls on forums rather than having like write-in votes. Um, right. uh, and they're, they're going on like every other three days or so. So uh, if you want to see how those are going, then uh, uh, go to the forums at ft.net. Um, at, are we up at the moment, uh, we have been up for things. Um, we've we've got next year, Dave. We've got next year. <laughs> Just I think we we finish next year, don't we? Uh, yes. Because this is this is actually technically our um, our absolute midpoint. It is indeed, yeah. Because uh, I mean, every uh, season of the show is exactly the same length, and uh, and we're doing a bonus show at the end. So technically, this is uh, absolutely the midpoint. And in that, this is towards the end of the episode. We're now over halfway through. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Um, <laughs> other, other important news. Uh, we're, we're saying goodbye to a podcast, uh, I'm afraid. And um, unfortunately, it's Tranquil Tirades. Um, oh because uh, James Dubbs and uh, Micah are all moving in other directions. Um, uh, James, is he's got uh, uh, higher education to uh, concentrate on. Dubs is already committed to two other very good podcasts, uh, Extra Lives and uh, Dropped D, which uh, recently finished uh, going over the discography of uh, Guns N' Roses, which was very entertaining, particularly towards the end. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> the Spaghetti Incident and Chinese Democracy? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're about to start work on uh, The Offspring. Ooh. And um, because uh, The Offspring have so many albums, I'm actually going to go through them uh, two albums per episode uh, to try and get it done within four or five uh, podcast episodes. Right. Uh, but yeah, so um, the tirades, uh, you might notice it hasn't actually come out yet because it's normally in and around the time we launch. There's been a bit of a hiatus. They are going to try and bring us the one that they ha- did have scheduled, which is... Um, uh, the live-action He-Man film, Masters of the Universe. Oh, now I love that film. <laughs> well, that's the thing. From there now, don't on... get me wrong. I'm sure everything they say about it is quite correct. <laughs> but I still love that film. <laughs> well, um, so we'll see what happens from there on. It's not definitely, definitely as dead as a dodo, but... Um, you know, it, if that's the last episode, then fine. We've had a great thing for about twelve, thirteen months. Um, more importantly, Dave, because our podcast started the same month uh, theirs did, uh, we win. <laughs> we definitely beat the tranquil tirades because technically theirs could have gone on forever, whereas ours is a fixed run. Yeah. Uh, so we win. Glory to us. <laughs> Yeah, they've got okay. other podcasts. <laughs> they've got other podcasts. Well, Dubs does. 
we have a tea date, but there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> again, so again, making myself very popular with my fellow staff members. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so it's been the awards, and uh, if you can catch the tirades, uh, by all means do. And you know, their old episodes aren't going anywhere, so they're awesome. Check them out. Excellent. Well, over on Geek Planet, the uh, the broadcast has officially commenced. They've uh, covered their first two episodes of season two, which is, uh, I believe, the, the Child and something else. <laughs> I've, I've, forgotten <laughs> the well, I've forgotten the other one. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a great little show. So uh, again, as I said last time, if you enjoy listening to uh, Peter and Amory's feedback here, it's very much more of the same, but talking about Star Trek: The Next Generation. And for a prolonged period of time. And I also need to give um, a mention to uh, our good friends Mike and Ike, over in the good old US of A. Uh, they've actually put together a film project, Mike and Ike's Grindhouse, which is uh, basically them uh, talking over some film, uh, a series of film clips and stuff here. It, it's got a bit of a um, Mystery Science Theatre 3000 kind of vibe to it. Okay. But uh, yeah, you, you can obtain that on Geek Planet Online. Uh, that basically they're looking to raise money for to keep the podcast going. So they they're asking for like a ten pa- sorry, a ten dollar. I should hasten to add, a, a, for a ten dollar donation, you get the film in order to go towards basically you know, keeping them with equipment to keep the podcast going. So uh, yeah, but yeah. uh, it it is well worth a look. It has been reviewed in a couple of places as well. But if you go to Geek Planet Online, you should see like a big banner advert for that at the top of the page if you're interested. So yeah, go on there, and if you uh, if you have the money to donate, by all means do, and it is well worth. It, it, I mean, it's like an hour and a half worth worth of material. Mm. There's um, I mean, it, it opens with like an undubbed. Uh, they've got one of the uh, one of the banned Warner Brothers cartoons, which are now um, sort of public domain. Oh right, wow. Yeah, yeah, one of, one of the ones that were banned because they were they're hideously racist. <laughs> hideously racist. Exactly. Yes. So oh, that's a sort man. of a sort of setting the tone for the start, and then uh they do um, sort of edited versions, uh, which they offer a commentary of um, a what, 1950s sort of beach monster movie, and uh, the the Lon Chaney Jr. starring uh, Spider Baby. <laughs> Excellent. I will say, I mean, I was rather frivolous. Um, <laughs> me frivolous, never. Hmm. Um, towards the beginning of the podcast, where I was going, uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah our podcast is free, you know. But, uh, why, why do you need to pay for any content on online? But um, one of my favourite podcasts um, uh, very recently came under threat. Uh, it was uh, on the Times. Uh, it's called The Bugle. It's a satire podcast with uh, John Oliver from The Daily Show and Andy Zaltzman. Um, <laughs> Okay, he's not a very famous comedian, but uh, he, he does satirical writing here and there. And um, before John Oliver moved a- across to America, they were a comedy double act. And every week they've been putting out um, a-, a satire show uh, until recently, when the Times actually dropped them. Right. Possibly because they actually made a lot of fun out of the um, uh, <laughs> uh, the News International kind of goings on over the summer. <laughs> But uh, they've um, they've actually been uh, saved and supported because they've got to work out of two studios 
across the Atlantic Ocean with at least two producers. So, um, so yeah, I mean, good content is worth, you know, some money. And uh, well, so I'd, I'd never ask for money for this. <laughs> God no. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> exactly. Dave can if he wants, because uh, you know. It, 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 I, I prefer to think of our level of entertainment as priceless. <laughs> that is exactly the word for it. You can't put um, a price on it. <laughs> but you know, any time that you know, I, Geek Planet or Earth Two could could do with like the odd bob from uh, from the, the people that use it and get enjoyment out of it and really like working on behalf of it, then. It can be very nice when it happens. Oh, absolutely. And I know a lot of um, podcasts will occasionally have a bit of a drive just because, you know, computer equipment wears out and stuff, and it can be a bit expensive to replace. Mm. Or, or you could spend that money on a Paul Darrow answer phone message. <laughs> so, Mike and Ike, I feel for you, but... <laughs> too, too tempting too tempting well and seeing as the podcast has essentially come full circle I think that's probably an appropriate place <laughs> to bring things to a close it's my veteran skills that one is Callie I'll introduce her more formally when she wakes up this one is Villa I should really introduce him now he's at his best when he's unconscious okay next month we're going to be covering another two episodes and those episodes will be Volcano and Dawn of the Gods so, until me- next month, from me, Dave Provis, and myself, Ian Wilson, thank you for listening to Shake and Blake.